Dude, we got invited to this dinner party, and first off, we got sent in the mail, and it was, like, really well-done invitation. It was, like, a fucking wedding invitation. Okay. And, yeah, we went, and, like, these are people we haven't seen in, like, two years, and they were be acting kind of weird the whole time. And then they showed us this fucking video of, like, this retreat they went on, and we watched someone die on television. <laughs> the fuck? Yeah. Wait, what? Really? So anyway, we're Watch If You Dare, a horror movie podcast. This week we're doing The Invitation, as you can yeah. see, uh, based off of my very clever, creative, totally true, wink wink introduction. Uh, we are a horror movie podcast. Uh, I'm your host, the coward boy, Derek, my co-host, the movie monster boy, Aaron. We dive into horror movies and discuss the fears and phobias that are associated with them and just how accessible they are for horror newbies and horror fanatics alike. So, without wasting any time, we go straight into our recommendations of other horror media we have consumed since our last recording that we can recommend to each other and to you, our audience. So if any of this catches your fancy, uh, you can go check it out. So, Aaron, with that, what horror have you been getting into lately? Yeah, uh, so I've got a couple things to mention real quick. Two movies that I watched recently that were both kind of ridiculous. One is Project Metal Beast that is on (laughs) Amazon Prime. It is like a 90s straight-to-video movie where a fucking black ops CIA dude in the 70s, like, gets werewolf blood. Fuck yeah. And they're gonna, like turn him into like a super soldier using werewolf blood but then it like goes bad because he's a twisted dude but then they like put him in cryo sleep and wake him up years later where they're testing metal skin mesh for like burn victims so of course they put this metal skin graft stuff onto this guy and then he turns into a werewolf so then he turns into a metal werewolf so a hat on a hat basically oh totally (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he looks like a porcupine because he's got these like weird quills, but it was pretty ridiculous concept wise. Um, so if you're into like werewolf movies that are not good, by the way, he has metal skin. Cool. Was this a Rob Liefeld fucking comic that was turned into a movie? <laughs> no, but I could totally see this being a Rob Liefeld comic where everybody has pointy feet and lots of pouches and there's a metal werewolf. Uh, yeah, but either that's the best concept I've ever heard in my life or the goddamn worst. <laughs> it was pretty rough, uh, but it was like an interesting idea, certainly, if we want to get ridiculous. Arrow Video is having their Camp Arrow sale and... Literally, like, all the Aero video titles were on sale for three bucks on iTunes, so... I went ahead and scooped a lot of weird titles that I've been curious about of theirs, but didn't want to spend the money to, like, buy a Blu-ray, so... I'm going to commit a massive faux pas. How much money did you spend? Because <laughs> that is a great deal. I spent about 60 bucks. Hell but yeah. But that's literally, like, 20 titles. So I bought, like, a bunch of movies digitally just to check them out because I didn't want to spend $20 per movie yeah, no, that's sale, that's a so. crazy good deal. I'm yeah. not judging you. I'm just knowing a deal that is that good for movies, especially from a, a distributor like Arrow, I knew you were going to go kind of hog wild. <laughs> yeah, totally. And they had a lot of their brand new titles already on there as well, too. So I just went ahead and grabbed some of that stuff. But the one that I watched was Blood Tide, um, which it's by a Greek director, but it's English language. 
It has fucking James Earl Jones in it, <laughs> acting wild. It's like this weird Greek village where they've been like sacrificing virgins to some sea god thing for hundreds of years. And James Earl Jones is like a weird treasure hunter, drunk, spouting Shakespeare. It was pretty wild, but not wild enough, in my opinion. Like, it was definitely a little bit slow in some parts. Was he going full-blown, like, Jaws, like, uh, black like a doll's eyes? Oh, even, even wilder. There's literally a part where he, like smashes a fucking watermelon on the beach with his hands and just is eating smearing watermelon into his face (laughs) and there's like a squid lord thing just it's wild again very interesting concept i wish it had gone a little bit further but it was it was an interesting oddity i'll say that much other two things and these are both kind of big This is not necessarily horror, but I would recommend it to anybody listening to the show because it has horror vibes, but it's definitely a more sci-fi thing. At my mother's behest, I watched Dark on Netflix, which is a German show. Um, It's the first German-language Netflix project, and it was pretty fucking amazing. It's very Stranger Things, 80s, kids on bikes vibe without the nostalgia masturbation. With a big heavy dose of girl with a dragon tattoo, Nordic crime, murder, mystery, and looper. So there's like time travel shit, which is why I said it's not necessarily horror. It's very much sci-fi, but boy, that show gets insane by the end. It's three seasons. The third season just came out. Very strategically, by the way, and you'll understand what I mean if you watch the show. It's three seasons. Very short. It's like 26 episodes total. You can burn through it easily. Absolutely worth your time. It might be the best piece of media I have ever seen dealing with time travel. Just how, like, back and forth crazy it gets was amazing. While you're talking about that, I went onto Wikipedia and just, like, pulled up Dark just to see what the cast. And underneath the cast are, like, graphs showing timelines and, like, family trees. Oh, yeah. And that's the other thing I'll say is if you want to watch the show, go watch the trailer for season one. But that's it. If it looks interesting, watch it, check it out. Do not read anything about it. There are so many huge spoilers. And when I say spoilers, I mean like random episode in season two or three. Every episode has a like giant what the fuck. I just have to recontextualize everything that I know moment. Really amazing writing. They wrote it all ahead of time. So it all fits together. There is clearly a plan from the beginning. It has easily the most satisfying ending of any piece of media that i've seen in recent memory that's that big at least fantastic show it's like lost but without the disappointment yeah yeah it has a lot of the same weird vibes of like what's going on what am i looking at and then like three or four episodes later it'll start to make sense but all the way down to the very last episode, like, everything fits together in a pretty brilliant way. So I definitely, definitely recommend that one. Again, not straight-up horror, but it has horror vibes, so it is absolutely worth checking out, especially if you just want a really well-written piece of 
fiction. This goes without saying, and we've talked about this on the show before, but definitely just read the subtitles. The dubs for Netflix are always terrible, and it will make you think the acting's super cheesy, so just read the subs. Last thing I want to talk about, and, you know, speaking of, like, things that, like, kinda didn't end well, I finally burned through Hannibal. I really enjoyed it once I got into it. I kind of got past that initial hump that I had a few years back when I started it, right when it was first coming out. It was just too bleak and dark for me in a lot of places. Like, with Silence of the Lambs, Silence of the Lambs is fucked up and bleak and dark, but you have Clarice Starling that you're following, and she's kind of this, like, bright point of light in that story that you're rooting for. Will Graham is not that. Will Graham is, like, super fucked up and, like, has lots of issues, and it's just hard to find any sort of levity in that show. But I got past the point where I was last time where it was just kind of, like, serial killer of the week with a different gimmick kind of thing and the story starts to settle in and you start to learn more about the characters and things start to evolve does it go into like a uh, dexter territory where he's hunting other serial killers or is it just um let's put it this way from the very beginning it's very obvious that oh there is another killer kind of copycatting a lot of these other killers but one-upping them who could it be, dot, 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 right? Like, it's very kind of obvious from literally the first episode what is going on under the surface, and you as a viewer, if you've got any awareness of Hannibal Lecter as a character in those movies and everything else in the books, you know where the story is leading, right? So, like, you can kind of obviously infer from the beginning what's happening there, but it is very serial killer of the week when it starts off. But all the character relationships really start to evolve in Season 2 and get deeper. The Season 2 finale is fucking amazing. The cast is great. The performances are great. Mads Mikkelsen as Hannibal Lecter is brilliant. All the supporting cast is great. Kind of spoiler, I guess. There is a fight scene in, like, literally the first opening minutes of Season 2 between Mads Mikkelsen and Lawrence Fishburne that is the most fucking badass drop down drag out fucking fight scene that i've seen lawrence fishburne do since the matrix and you forget like oh yeah he can fucking kick ass and he's a giant burly dude yeah so to see like the two of them going at each other hardcore in a kitchen throwing fucking knives around it was great but season three goes even more wild because they were initially planning on like adapting all of red dragon as like a whole season but when they found out that the show was going to get canceled they kind of sort of rewrote season three real quick so the first half of season three they actually adapt the Hannibal storyline from that novel kind of in a new let's fit it into this timeline format all the stuff with the vergers and the fucking pigs in Italy and all that like side diversion stuff happens in the first half of season three the second half of season three is like a straightforward six episode adaptation of Red Dragon that was Really good. Richard Armitage plays the uh, Tooth Fairy Killer. I really, really enjoyed what they did with that stuff, but I'd heard this ahead of time. I knew all this. It ends literally on a cliffhanger because they initially were planning on having a fourth season where they adapted Sons of the Lambs, and Saoirse Ronan was apparently supposed to play Clarice. And there's rumblings now of, like, it might happen 
now that, you know, the show's been on Netflix and it's been getting way more viewership since they added it to Netflix than it did when it was actually originally on TV. So there's talk now of like, yeah, we might go back and do like a fourth season finally and just like do it through Netflix or something. So it's all back up in the air, but the show does kind of end literally on a cliffhanger. So that's the only thing going into it is just you're not necessarily going to get closure, but God, like dripping with style, the cinematography is amazing. Like it's just so good on like the actual hardcore horror and the camp and just fashion and food porn kind of all coming together into this one thing. And it is incredibly unsettlingly super fucked up gory which I was not expecting. People with their fucking throats torn open and their vocal cords turned into, like, you know, a fucking cello, (laughs) a fucking totem pole made out of body parts, people getting their entire, like, heads cracked back open in a Glasgow smile with, like, tongues hanging out and shit. It is insanely fucking gory. And I completely understand why nbc was like "Mm, i don't know about this show i forgot it was on nbc yeah yeah this was a fucking network tv show and people talk about like oh yeah walking dead is so gory it's so violent walking dead ain't got shit on hannibal (laughs) walking dead is like fucking cgi digital blood splat that's it right hannibal is buckets of blood hannibal is meat and sinew and bone and just buckets of fucking blood it's super fun once you kind of get past that initial hump of disgust and it starts to just become more part of the camp factor of the entire show but goddamn was i not expecting it to be that insanely gory but done really well the makeup is amazing it's practical effects there's very very little cgi stuff in that show so it does feel very visceral again it's not like walking dead where it's just a bunch of fucking cgi blood splatter but i really really enjoyed hannibal and i'm I'm glad i finally like went back to it a second time and powered through it and got into that second season especially very very good would definitely recommend if you're a fan of that series especially if you just you know if you enjoy the hannibal lecter character mads has a very very different take on that character from anthony hopkins but i think it honestly works better and lots of people say this and i know this is a fucking take but i think i like him as hannibal lecter the best now i think i really do like there's just something about his performance and how he fits that character that i really really enjoyed I can't believe, too, how much of the books was brought into the show. Like, everything's reworked, obviously. But there's even, like, little tidbits from Hannibal Rising kind of worked into there. um, And just little nods to things. So I really enjoyed that show overall. So that's my recommendations. I'll shut up now and uh, go ahead and let you hop on as well. I got a bunch of recommendations, too. Uh, We decided we were going to kind of make this a recommendations-heavy episode because the invitation is is not too uh too much to talk about and we didn't give y'all any recommendations last week so <laughs> yeah that's true on that note a couple weeks ago on july 19th specifically uh 2020 i know i'm dating our episode very specifically by saying this but the wwe had a thing called the horror show at extreme rules it was just supposed to be like their next extreme rules thing but they decided to like add horror show to it because all these weird gimmicks were thrown in they're still doing all this weird like pre tape stuff because of covid all at the pc in orlando most of the pay-per-view is kind of just not 
not great. There was literally an eye for an eye match where Seth Rollins made Rey Mysterio's eye pop out of his head, but they literally used like a golf ball <laughs> that was oh painted God. like it. Yeah, it was just ridiculous shit like that. But the one thing that I will recommend once again, Bray Wyatt, he is such a creative genius, like bright spot in that company. And it's so insane to me that they have botched kind of his use for the past like 10 years almost but with his redesign with this fiend character has been extremely well received especially even from like a horror standpoint and it seems like they're finally doing a good job with it but part of that is with this like fun house spray like with the firefly fun house where it's kind of like peewee herman but like on acid and with a dose of horror like he now has three personalities oh my god yeah he, had, he still has his <laughs> old like swamp cult leader gimmick so what he did in his current feud with Braun Strowman is he decided to resurrect his old gimmick as Bray Wyatt, the cult leader from the swamp, um, because Braun Strowman debuted as like his black sheep from the Wyatt family. And they had a swamp fight. <laughs> they had a pre-tape horror movie, like B-grade horror movie swamp On fight. On a set water tank fake cypress trees kind of oh no thing. no no no! they like went out into or like into a swamp area in orlando somewhere oh i'm my sure God. It, i'm sure it was like on someone's property it wasn't like sure, out yeah. in the everglades but yeah they went to like the quote-unquote wyatt compound where he used to like run his cult <laughs> in the swamp and he resurrected his old persona to fight Braun Strowman. And yeah, it just turned into like once again one giant like horror movie. And here's some I, I wanted to read some of the quotes from a uh, Squared Circle. Uh they're like the subreddit for professional wrestling. Their post swamp fight uh match discussion thread. The top comment is the entire match felt like a reference to a horror movie that didn't actually exist. And that is so goddamn true because like everything Bray Wyatt does feels like it's a homage to like horror in general, but like sure. nothing very specific. Um, another person wrote Freddy vs. Jason, but on acid. And it totally was. <laughs> I mean, it had Braun Strowman like getting bitten by a snake and then like tripping balls and like seeing like all these nightmarish things and then like perceiving a, a female wrestler that he might have had a crush on in a different storyline like acting like sister abigail who is like the ghostly figure of bray wyatt's like supernatural persona this is living up to like the fucking stereotype that wrestling is literally just soap operas for dudes <laughs> this sounds great or anime for rednecks that's the other <laughs> like, yeah. it totally is and, but, like, honestly, there was a ton of Freddy vs. Jason vibes, like, throughout this entire thing. It all ended with Bray Wyatt choking Braun and dragging him into the waters of the swamp and, I guess, drowning him. And then the fiend coming out at the very end as, like, a, a jump scare coming out of the water. Sure. It, it was really cool. It added a whole nother layer to, like, Bray's character in general because, like, while he was swamp leader Bray talking to Braun during this, he was saying, like, what do you think it feels like to be trapped in my own mind seeing out the eyes of another person basically saying like the fiend and funhouse bray wyatt have trapped me in my own mind and like only use me when they need to again just bray wyatt is a fucking genius uh the fiend is one of the best things happening in wrestling and one of the best things in horror in general in my opinion so yeah, if you get a chance, uh, yet again, a string of Bray Wyatt pre-tape matches uh, during the COVID era being great, I recommend the Wyatt Swamp Fight match. Some people thought it was 
kind of just more of the same and WWE really kind of like beating a dead horse, which, yeah, maybe. But, I mean, Braun Strowman literally lights a guy on fire at one point. Come on. (laughs) And this is still wrestling? Yes. Yeah, they had some obvious, like, stunt actor come out and, like, get lit on fire at one point and run off screen. Oh, my God. Yeah, so uh, that that was, like, the first thing I wanted to recommend. Uh, Another thing was I uh, have started going back and watching Hellier this time season two, and I recommended Hellier, like, several episodes ago. It's an internet web-like documentary series that started off kind of about the uh, goblins of Hellier, Kentucky. Like, from season one into season two, and through season two, it's turned into this whole string of odd synchronicities between these people who started off researching this and being contacted by people who may or may not have been mysterious and now have disappeared, and odd shit keeps happening to them, and it's gone from, like, just the goblins of Hellier, Kentucky, to just kind of Mothman and alien abduction and everything else. Expanding into the cryptid world larger, yeah. Yeah, and again, the thing I like about hellier is it shows you a lot of everything it shows you that a lot of this is kind of mundane and a lot of it is very much just extremely weird synchronicities and coincidences that happen and some of the stuff that they actually capture is pretty interesting um whether or not you believe it like even from a skeptical standpoint it's still fun to see like these odd synchronicities kind of play out throughout the the series and again i i like that they don't shy away from showing that paranormal hunters whether they're ghost hunters or ufo seekers or whatever a lot of it is patience a lot of it is like chasing tons of leads that often don't go anywhere a lot of it is kind of going to locations thinking you're going to find something and you don't or you have no idea what you're going to find and you just kind of have to look for it and they feel very genuine i don't think they're making up a lot of this they they do feel genuine about some of the stuff they're they're coming across so this is played as a documentary oh yeah yeah yeah. i was under the impression that this was all like a scripted haha fun show that's no played uh-uh. to look like a documentary but not like we are taking this seriously at all no no this is a this is a serious like they're actually chasing down these leads and doing a lot of research kind of documentary okay it's a lot more fascinating than i thought it was and i did approach it with a because i mean goblins goblins i'm open to a lot of a lot more stuff than maybe you are mansfield but goblins come on really sure and i so i went into it with a very like yeah whatever kind of mindset and i i'm enjoying it like i think it's it's fun to watch and it does go into strange places often so i recommend it hellier you can catch all of it i think on youtube like i think every single episode is up on youtube i i think i'm only one or two episodes away from the end of season two i think they have talked about already doing a season three they have been interviewed on last podcast, or I think once or twice. I know John Tenney, who has showed up in Hellier, has been interviewed by last podcast. So yeah, just check it out. The synchronicities are really cool to watch unfold. How long are the episodes? Anywhere from like 45 minutes to over an hour. Okay, so it's like a regular TV show. It's not like a micro-series thing. Okay. No, no, no. And I think the first season only had like five or six episodes, but the second one has like nine to ten, I want to say. Okay, that's interesting. 
Yeah. So following up on another thing, Last of Us 2, I finished it a couple weeks ago. I had finished it actually, but I wanted to come back around to it as of all the quote unquote controversy surrounding it and discuss it once again. Once again, I still keep it as a high recommendation for me. I loved the way it ended. I like the new characters and the directions they go in and same with Ellie. Some legitimate criticisms that have been brought up, I now understand more specifically kind of how they handle like trans issues. Dead naming for those of you who don't know the term is the use of a birth or former name of a transgendered or non-binary person without their consent. It may not always be intentional, but it is something that is not something you should do for someone who is transgendered or non-binary and now going by a, a different name. So there is a point in the game, I think it happens a couple times actually, where you meet a boy named Lev and certain members of the group of people Lev left are coming after him and they are calling him by the name of Lily and calling him heretic and all these other names that are not great. So there has been a lot of criticism with that um, where he was dead named um, in those situations. Granted, you know, it is the world of Last of Us. So like as much of the fucked up shit that's happening on screen, you know, you could say that that's just part of the world, but still it's kind of shitty. However, I will say that Ian Alexander was the one who provided the voice and motion capture for Lev. And I believe Ian Alexander is a transgendered actor. So at the very least, they did decent casting. But then I've also heard criticism that it's a very, and I don't know this because I didn't look into it, but a lot of the production in the of of the game was done by cisgendered people and uh i've seen other criticisms laid at the game that this is a kind of a very cisgendered approach to it of good intentions but still kind of being a little bit ignorant even if it's unintentional sure so that stuff i do understand i think that is a very legitimate criticism to the game beyond that i again i could see how this game is you know violence for violence sake but i once again make the argument that the last of us the series as a whole is much more more about the relationships between characters that you meet and less about some kind of statement about the greater human condition. Um, I'll hammer that home. But yeah, I still recommend it. It's still scary as shit. It's still super violent. It's still super dark. And that's all I got to say about The Last of Us Part Two. Now, I started a new game. And Aaron, I know you have a history with the series in general. I started Wolfenstein Youngblood. Okay. It takes place after Wolfenstein 2, The New Colossus, kind of going on this timeline that Machine Games and Bethesda and Arcane Studios have set up with the Wolfenstein that came out like back in 2015, I think. It's not a DLC, but it's like a small, like half standalone game with the daughters, right? Yes. Yeah, so it, okay. it's kind of like a spinoff game, and it is very different from Wolfenstein One and Two. I actually watched Evan play through the first Wolfenstein, the one. And I, when I say first Wolfenstein, I mean like the one that came out in 2015, and then I played through a bit of Wolfenstein Two: The New Colossus, and I liked them both. Wolfenstein Youngblood jumps ahead into the 80s, follows his twin daughters, and they're basically, they chase after him looking for him, and it takes place in Nazi-occupied France. Now, for those of you who have no idea what the fuck we're talking about, Wolfenstein is a first-person shooter franchise that has ties from back to the 90s during, like, the Doom era. It is alternate history, what if the Nazis won, but the Nazis also, the way they won was, like, using Vril energy and, like, all the conspiracy 
theory shit. Yeah, it goes like full Indiana Jones, Hellboy, like Nazis were using fucking occult magic and bullshit, and now they have cybernetic warriors and fucking just all that stuff. Yeah, lasers. Yeah, so... <laughs> So, and Wolf of Sun Youngblood, kind of like the other two, you could make an argument that these are horror games. They're definitely horror games, yeah. You would I, say I, that? I would say they're definitely horror games. Now, they are very, like, inglorious bastards killing Nazis. Like, yeah. Definitely, like, that is the vibe of the game, certainly. But it's definitely a horror game. Definitely a horror game. Yeah, these games are, like, very sci-fi, fantasy, horror action. More sci-fi than fantasy, I'd say. But, the, yeah, again, like, there are a lot of supernatural elements, too, because of the real energy. Yeah. We're going to mine the moon and Hitler lives in Venus right now. <laughs> like that kind of shit. And oh boy, do you slaughter the fuck out of Nazis in this game. Yeah. You kill them in waves. And what, something I do appreciate by Wolf, about Wolfenstein is it takes kind of on the exact opposite end of The Last of Us. It makes absolutely no goddamn effort to humanize like these evil fucks. Like every, no. every Nazi you meet in this franchise is psychotically evil to the point of like laughable. And and oh boy, is the gore on point, body parts are flying, heads are exploding. Wolfenstein Youngblood is interesting because it actually is an RPG shooter, and you can play it co-op, like either couch co-op or online co-op. That's why I was partly interested in it at first was that oh heather and i can like sit and play this together and like shoot nazis together sure you and heather should play it together because the twins i like them as characters i think they're really interesting and well played they're 18 year old 19 year old and they really feel like that they're kind of written in the tongue-in-cheek 80s teenager way but it, it works with like the rest of the ridiculous nature of the wolfenstein universe but yeah it's it's actually an rpg it's Kind of like Borderlands in that way. Uh, granted, you're not seeing like numbers pop up like as your bullets hit them. Like it's still very much just like just blood and gore. But like you see levels above enemies, and like certain enemies are more powerful, and you should avoid them for the time being until you level up. And as you level up, like your damage increases, your health increases. There's uh, level up trees. Apparently, this game actually was had a very mixed response because of that, because it kind of went away from just like pure first person shooter and like kind of went to this experimental route. But I've been loving the shit out of it. Maybe it's because I like I've been first person shooter starved because I rarely play them and. I haven't played any really since Wolfenstein 2 but I'm loving it so far and I'm playing by myself the sister who I'm not using is AI controlled and I'm having a blast either way yeah so yeah if you want like get me a thousand Nazi scalps like this is the game (laughs) for you because you are killing the fuck out of them and it's it's very satisfying very fun very violent yeah I really enjoyed the first game that was literally the first game I played on PS4 I bought it when we bought our system because it was like 20 bucks and to this day that's still one of the best looking smoothest playing just straightforward insanely fun PS4 games I've played this entire generation I've really really enjoyed that game for just how insane it is yeah and you get to shoot nazis on the moon in the first one too which is great yeah Um, and then kind of the last thing I'll recommend is it's kind of going back to sort of something that you brought up during your your recommendations back during the beyond. But I have been listening to Carpenter Brut. Is it Carpenter Brute or Carpenter Brut? Pretty sure it's Carpenter Brute. Yeah. Yeah. I have been listening to them a fuck ton lately. Yeah. It's good shit. I've been specifically listening to their trilogy album, or it's really more of a compilation album, um, which is a collection of their first three EPs. Literally, their 
their EPs are named EP1, EP2, EP3, um, and then this is just called Trilogy. And it's like every soundtrack to a movie that doesn't exist that John Carpenter like dreamed of. And I mean, not even just horror. Uh, there is a lot of horror slasher vibes to like the synth wave that's in this, but also a lot of like Escape from New York and a lot of that kind of stuff. It's very yeah. much along those same lines as John Carpenter's Lost Themes 1 and 2. There's also elements of like this comes from like a Streets of Rage game. Like there's a lot of music like that as well. It's very it's very upbeat. Yeah, it's very upbeat and it's very I feel like each one of their tracks could fit for a different exploitation movie. Yeah. Whether it's horror or action or what. So Carpenter Brute trilogy specifically is the one I recommend the most. Uh, another thing too is our buddy uh, Jonathan Nowacki. I recommended trilogy to him and he listened to a bit of it and he texted me. He's just like, if you would have told me that this was a new album by Justice back in 2008, I would have totally yeah. believed you because there's a lot of Justice heavy. It has that vibe too of their early stuff. But yeah, very, very, very 80s horror soundtrack synthwave vibe to it. So, all right, I'll shut up. I'll stop talking. That's a lot of recommendations <laughs> for y'all. It's fine. We didn't give any on the last episode, and next episode, we probably won't have many either, dot, dot, dot. So, nope. either way, we're going to give y'all a giant chunk right now. Cool. Before we go any further and get into the movie, let's throw a quick shout out to our friends at Nightmare Threads. What's up fellow spoopy people? Are you shopping for horror movie merch to match the fear in your heart? Do you want to show your love and fandom for horror or are you just looking for the perfect gift for that special mutant in your life? If so, check out Nightmare Threads, your one-stop shop for all things horror made for fans by fans. NightmareThreads.com offers clothing, apparel, and merch for numerous horror movies, TV shows, and other macabre pop culture. Nightmare Threads also has original horror content articles news and more so you can support us by supporting them check out our show's twitter and facebook pages for our unique referral link or use coupon code watch if you dare all one word no spaces at checkout to save 10 percent. so just go to nightmarethreads.com and again use our referral link or the code watch if you dare to save 10 percent. watch horror love horror support horror shop sally all right cool so as an adult married how uncomfortable did this movie make you <laughs> yeah really um so we we started off with a lot of bat shit we were going into darker direction that was our plan and we did for a little while but then like with covid kind of happening and everything kind of being a downer during this year we decided to like do fun stuff but we've been on a string of bad shit so like we decided to do like some pretty bleak shit again and a little more grounded yeah i uh this movie really really got to me from a mental health standpoint yeah and social anxiety standpoint yeah uncomfortableness yeah and then just like yeah the horror that's in this is really disturbing yep <laughs> it's kind of gory and violent but it's not even that bad especially compared to like the recommendations we just talked about but it still somehow feels more disturbing than a lot of it's it it's so shocking so this this is a perfect example of what my personal fears are because this is the kind of like real life violence that can and does happen quite often so like this is the shit that does kind of get under my skin there's nothing fun or over the top about this movie at all yeah and so with all that said we are doing 2015 horror flick directed by Karen Kusama called The Invitation. God, this thing is so official. Maybe they're overcompensating. It's kind of hard to call everybody up out of the blue after two years. 
We've got a lot to talk about. So much to celebrate tonight. Each and every one of us is on a journey, and we feel that it's important to be on that journey with the people you love. Everybody, this is my friend Pruitt. Bars on windows and no. Security. Safer. You've been acting so suspicious of our hospitality. Well. Jesus. Has he been like this a lot? So agitated. How has he been handling things? He can be self-destructive. I think he's doing the best he can. doesn't feel safe here. We don't see you for two years, and then all of a sudden, we get invited to this lavish dinner. Don't tell me that this is normal. What do you think is happening, Will? This beautiful moment is upon us. Tonight is the night our faith is made real. Yeah, very uncomfortable. Uh, very, <laughs> kind of right off the bat, I wanted to talk about something that I, I'd read about this a little bit. And like even Lauren, who's been on our show a few times, I talked to her about it. And she had the same criticism of there's a lot of slow burn, but almost to the point of like too much slow burn. And then sure. the payoff isn't necessarily worth the slow burn. I don't know if it was the mindset I was in when I watched this. I didn't feel that at all. I felt this was an extremely effective movie for me, and I'll get into why it was uh, later on, but yeah. On that note, there is definitely a difference between slow burn where there is not a lot of action happening in the plot, but you're still getting a lot of plot and a lot of character stuff and a lot of backstory and detail and information and exposition all happening where you're constantly having to pay attention to like what you're looking at. That's more engaging. That's more interesting. That keeps you like engaged in the story, even if there's not stuff happening and people running around, right? It's different than like, and again, this is a take to, I'm not the biggest fan of Ty West. We also talked about doing one of his movies a while back, and Ty West is a perfect example of, like, maybe is too slow for me, because there is no plot happening. There's no exposition. There's no character stuff. It's just a lot of people wandering around looking scared for large swaths of the stories. So... I think slow burn, people slap that label on things quite often just because like stuff is not actively happening and people aren't running around doesn't mean a movie's slow. This movie is very engaging. This movie keeps you like wondering what's going on and looking for like little clues and things in the background. So, I mean, this this movie is definitely twisty and turny in a way that you never feel bored with. Yeah, and like that, I think that's what kind of captured my attention and kept it the whole way is there's this very believable element yeah. At least for you and I, because you and I have 
I mean, when it comes to adults, like we have a pretty big friend group that's kind of unusual for a lot of people. It turns out as I've as I've gotten older and talked to other people from other friend groups. Yeah, they have a couple really close friends, but they don't have like a group of friends like we do. Sure. Yeah. To play devil's advocate a little bit, I think it's maybe a little more effective for us, the invitation that is, because we have that friends group and we have a group that's very similar to the group that's in this film. But something that kept my attention though was kind of that while it is super awkward and it's like yeah friends getting back together again for the first time in like years there's also that little bit of darkness of oh one one or two of our really good friends that we all thought we knew like disappeared for like a year or two and no one's heard from them and now they're back and now they're acting a little weird i joked with you i was like if we hadn't just had meryl on for like our twin peaks three-parter i would have joked that like the weird couple that we like forgot about or like had talked to in two years then randomly showed back up and was acting super weird um, and like they went on this quote-unquote retreat to Mexico would have been Nathan and Meryl. <laughs> Not that bad. They just moved the farthest away of everybody in our friend uh, group. No, no, I I, but what, I, what I'm saying is not that they moved, but more like out of the friends I could see this happening to. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah sure. The couple. <laughs> I, we love you, Nathan and Meryl, especially thank yes. you, Meryl, for coming on uh, our show. And Nathan, we'd love to have you. But y'all were the first couple that popped up in my mind out of like our entire friend group that would be like that weird couple that disappeared yeah and i will say too this is a rare example of horror movies that are very explicitly kind of made for adults yeah and made for like people who are at that stage of their life and that level of maturity and that level of life experience where you understand why so much of the fucking conversations that are had in this movie are uncomfortable and how so many of the situations in this movie are uncomfortable like it's it's one of those things where until you're at that point in life you're not going to appreciate this movie in the same way like if i had seen this movie in high school whatever it's fine but like there's just something so much more relatable to it as an adult who is married who has been in relationships, who gets together with people you haven't seen in a while and things are maybe different now and things can get uncomfortable and like weird conversations can come up. Especially like if there's history of dating and within that same group. Yeah, all that stuff too, which is definitely our friend group. So yeah, this movie is very, very unsettling for all of those reasons. And again, talk about fucking anxiety inducing. Just the tension in the room between all these people and the uncomfortable comfortableness of who are these weird people that most of us don't know that are just here being awkward and (laughs) kind of weird in the corner like all of that is just like so fucking unsettling that gave me so many vibes to our college parties but especially the later college parties (laughs) yeah whenever there would just be like that weird couple that shows up or that weird person that shows up that who is he again who are they who is this yeah they're being really weird yeah he told me some like weird fucked up shit when he like cornered me in the kitchen and just started talking my ear off yeah like the, those kind of vibes definitely definitely throughout this entire movie yeah i mean the the horror that's in this movie right at the bat again for parents as well because there's loss of a loved one yeah there's extreme social anxiety just have like a dinner party going the wrong way and yeah. like people starting to yell at each other people you care about but also like are so used to being in 
in a good mood with and having a good time with and now they're being awkward and yelling and yeah and then there's also just change i felt a fear of change in this movie like totally crazy amount there's trauma there's ptsd there's all kinds of fears that are very like you said very specifically adult and very specifically people who are at that time of their lives like mid-30s where like they're in between still being like an adult who loves to have fun and being kind of like the mom and dad boring adult i guess you could say sure yeah and this very much feels like a generation x maybe millennial adult movie that this horror movie really capitalizes on that it put me in a place of missing my friends but also at the same time fearing what they may become sure as we get older that fear of drifting apart and just becoming different people and not being able to relate in the same ways anymore yeah totally get that yeah and then also fear for myself fear for like me becoming that person because sure yeah i'll get into this but i was already in a weird headspace mental health wise and again i don't mind being open about this on our show then i sat down and watched this movie and i responded to it in a pretty intense way because of that that's the kind of horror you're dealing with it's not ghosts and goblins it's not super jump scare heavy it's real violence real awkward situations that turn dark while it's not always more effective for me like supernatural is usually more scary to me like this movie was very effective for me this this go around yeah. is like realistic horror now i know for you aaron like you definitely respond to realistic horror way more than i do yeah this is totally the shit that gets under my skin because this could happen totally like shit like this has happened. with our friends like <laughs> this could totally yeah. happen with our friends stuff like this has happened in real life you know all the time and it's just so like visceral and it's it's little violence is the best way that I can put it. It's very small, ugly, intimate violence. And that is so much more fucking terrifying than like fucking Freddy Krueger nightmare demon like coming after you in your sleep and shit like that like none of that's real none of that's gonna happen whatever speak for yourself asshole (laughs) some fucking weirdo like showing up at a house party that you happen to be at and oh by the way they like murder somebody while they're there like that can happen certainly right Kusama's got a really great quote about this movie where she says the film is a metaphor for what the nightmare of anxiety really is which is this irrational sense that people are trying to hurt you somehow and that's absolutely what this movie (laughs) is right that's a good summary of what this movie is on that note to kind of I guess, like, a little bit of background on Karin Kasama. She's directed, you know, a handful of movies. She did Girl Fight with Michelle Rodriguez years back. The live-action version of Aeon Flux, Jennifer's Body, which is definitely on our list. Um, she did one of the shorts in XX, which was a all-female anthology horror kind of compilation. She recently did Destroyer with Nicole Kidman. Um, she directed a few episodes of The Outsider, which I loved. And she is attached to to Blumhouse's Dracula project. So that's like her next big upcoming thing. Um, now that Blumhouse is like kind of sort of doing their own version of the Universal Monsters. Um, so it's nice that she's like finally starting to get some recognition in her career because like many female filmmakers, um, her career has been very up and down for a lot of the typical bullshit reasons that women have to deal with in the industry. Um, just people very cautiously gave her very limited opportunities. They didn't really give her the creative freedom and then very quickly like put her in director jail at the first misstep 
you know, so she just had to deal with, like, a lot yeah. of the same bullshit. That was the big thing that I read about with her was that, she, A, she was kind of screwed into the production of Aeon Flux and then got screwed because of it. Yeah, from the beginning, I mean, she was John Sales' assistant and he was kind of her mentor. Like, that's how she kind of worked her way into the industry. She had been writing scripts since, like, 92 and trying to get stuff made, but she refused to compromise on the race of the lead character in Girl Fight and funding was pulled the very last minute and John Sales had to step in and help her secure funding so like literally from her first movie she's getting fucked over for like trying to execute her vision the way she wants. The producer who was kind of guiding Eon Flux left during the studio shakeup in the middle of the production and so the movie was like massively reworked without Kusama afterward and she took the bullet for it. Yeah and Jennifer's body was like actually a solid hit but just not really well received at the time mostly because of like Diablo Cody and Megan Fox backlash but it's been like clearly emerging as like a new cult classic and I mean I remember seeing it years back and it's good I mean it's becoming more and more relevant as well as time goes on and more people are seeing it I can't wait for us to cover it as well yeah and this movie The Invitation as well as basically all of her other projects for the most part they are all written by her husband Phil Hay and his writing partner Matt Manfredi I won't say they have the best track record necessarily like they did Clash of the Titans from a few years back and R.I.P.D. which is kind of a notorious insane terrible movie and then the ride along series with Ice cube and uh kevin hart so they don't have like the best writing track record but like the stuff that they have done for her has easily been their best work but yeah the movie is ex is kind of rooted in the life experiences of all three of them but really mostly the death of kasama's brother when she was very young and then a close friend later in life a lot of this movie is kind of based around those things and those experiences and from a like cinematic standpoint Kasama said that she was really influenced by Let the Right One In and Lars von Trier's Festen um, which is like a family reunion dinner kind of get together thing that all kind of goes off the rails so knowing those two movies yeah that's that's like a very apt <laughs> combo for yeah. this but yeah the movie was funded by game changer films which specifically funds female directed projects and I mean, this movie was like totally independent it had a one million dollar budget they shot it in sequence over 20 days, which is kind of wild. And she had complete control over the final vision, which is great. Like, this is the first time that she's really had that ability. It was released by Draft House Films. It wasn't a huge financial success theatrically because it didn't really get, you know, wide release, but it won a bunch of awards, including Best Picture at Sitches, and um, it's definitely on its way to cult status now, thanks to a very prominent streaming presence since the initial release. I mean, I think this movie has, like, been on Netflix since it came out, so, and that's where we watched it, that's where you can find it, it's definitely on Netflix, so that's where you can go check it out. But yeah, this this movie is definitely kind of gaining cult status now that it's been out for a while and word of mouth is carrying it well I'm, I'm glad you brought up the budget and all that because um once again because we've covered a few of these this is another indie horror movie but again it feels bigger it feels bigger than that because yeah. i guess it was very thrifty with the way they spent money through the production yeah. and everything like they didn't waste a cent it feels like in this movie yeah well it's all one location and let's be real that house does a lot for like the look and feel of this movie in terms <laughs> of like it being big and lavish i mean this 
because the movie takes place in this giant, you know, hillside Hollywood mansion. So that does a lot for your production value right there. Um, but keeping it small, keeping it in one location, keeping it with a handful of cast of basically unknowns for the most part and just keeping it really grounded and simple does a lot for making the budget go a lot further and making this feel bigger and more expensive than it really is so yeah she's got a great eye for all of that and so again like knowing the vibes of this movie I'm really curious to see what she does with like a modern take on Dracula yeah I'm very actually excited about that now having watched this I really enjoyed this movie it is bleak it is dark it doesn't necessarily end in a happy place either and nah. <laughs> again kind of like i touched on in the beyond non-happy endings aren't always the easiest thing to pull off and i feel like this pulls it off really well and i like yeah. the ending quite a lot we'll get to it obviously but i think there's a difference between just straight bleak and like straight bleak but you can like at least sigh with a little bit of relief afterward and i guess that will make sense once we talk about the ending yeah <laughs> yeah for horror newbies i mean as in terms of actual jump scares and stuff like that it's not jump scare heavy at all i think this is a good one this is one that i recommend to like even non-horror people because it's just very like straightforward thriller-esque yeah it's and it's not very gory like we talked about it's very horror thriller it, it has that kind of same feel and tone and dread to it as like green room did yeah that's kind of where the horror is going to get you this is a, a sit with you kind of horror movie rather than a kind of loud jump scary horror movie yeah but yeah i just be ready because again and this one might emotionally affect you yeah i would be curious to see more people who can't relate to like having a large friend group of mostly married couples watch this movie and see what they think so yeah if any of y'all out there feel like you're in that category watch this movie and get back to us because i'm very curious to see if more people kind of like my sister-in-law are just kind of like eh, it's kind of boring um i <laughs> didn't mean to make fun of you if you do find this movie boring we love you and five stars us on, on apple please <laughs> but I am very curious to see how this movie affects different groups of people. And again, Mansfield, I think that's a perfect take is I don't think anyone who isn't at least like over 21 is going to really get this movie. I know that sounds dumb. And I know that sounds very like elitist bullshitty. Like, oh, you're just not going to get this unless you're like grown up with a job and a family and married and whatever. Like I get that that sounds kind of douchey to say, but I think it really is you at 21 single in college feeling invincible and you being like 31 later in life or 41 even and having like been married, had a child child had a job have a history like all this other bullshit like there's just a lot of life experience that comes along with this movie that you won't necessarily relate to unless you have that life experience i i really do think the main demographic for this movie is like 30 to 45 yeah like i said it's it's the rare example of a movie not just a heart movie but a movie that is like really geared toward adults you know what I mean? I don't know. It's weird. There's there's way more at this point in the last decade. There are way more like old people catnip movies coming out 
than there are just movies for adults like this. So this is kind of that rare example of like, yeah, this is a movie made for grown-ups for grown-ups to enjoy and relate to. So again, I know that sounds douchey to say, but you'll get what we're saying, I guess. And on that point, one last thing I wanted to bring up before we do a plot run-through. Not to say it's a first-world problems horror movie, but it is very much like a first-world... <laughs> I have some thoughts on that, yeah. Yeah, like, it, it's a very mu- It is a first-world horror movie because everyone is in a position where like you can go to a fancy dinner night at like a Hollywood Hills mansion and everyone's relatively well dressed seems well to do can bring food or drinks with them as housewarming gifts or whatever but this movie also shows that tragedy and violence like no one is safe from it sure that's the main takeaway is like no one is safe from this kind of stuff no matter what walk of life you are yeah let's go ahead and get started talking through the plot giving our impressions as we go um, so the movie begins with Will and his new girlfriend Kira and they are driving through the Hollywood Hills kind of in the back end of things a little bit and we learn that they are going to the home of Will's ex-wife Eden who is hosting a dinner party with her new husband David. I like how they set this up. It's table setting but it's the conversation felt very natural between the two of them. Yeah as much as we talk about like show don't tell in a movie like this there is a lot of dialogue and a lot of exposition but it's all done and delivered in ways that keep you guessing at what you're actually looking at and what's about to unfold and there's like little clues peppered throughout so this is kind of a good example of when dialogue exposition is necessary it, it kind of right off the bat too because they are kind of joking around a little bit because it's just like oh I haven't seen him since the divorce and all that kind of stuff yeah but Kira is in a, in a very uncomfortable spot she obviously cares for Will which is yeah. why she's going to this she's being a really good sport about all this yeah. She knows it's going to be really traumatic for Will, and she obviously cares about him a lot, so she's going there to support him, and yeah. as well as like either meet his friends or see them again for the first time in a while. This is, I think, the first time that she's meeting a lot of the friends. Yeah. But he's clearly kind of grudgingly going. Yeah, and it almost feels like that he was on the fence of, should I go or should I not go? Yeah. And she kind of pushed him like, hey, we need to settle this. Like, You need closure in some way. Yeah. Let's just go. And Will is played by Logan. Marshall Green, who yes. might be the most recognizable face in this movie. Him and Michelle Huisman, I guess is how you pronounce his name. They're kind of the two main recognizable people. Green was in a lot of TV stuff to start off, but then he was in that movie Devil. He was in Prometheus as well. He was in both of James Franco's Faulkner movies, As I Lay Dying and Sound of the Fury. Recently, he was in in Spider-Man Homecoming. Who did he play? He's like the first shocker. Oh. Yeah. Remember how that movie kind of plays like a weird double thing and like they set him up as shocker and then he kind of gets taken out and then another person (laughs) takes over as shocker. He's a pretty funny role in that. Yeah. (laughs) In Homecoming. So he's in that. The one that I would really recommend people check out and I think I've mentioned on the show before, Upgrade. That movie is a fucking blast. It's Lee Whannell, the same guy who did Saw, wrote Insidious and Star Insidious and recently did the Invisible Man remake which again Kusama is kind of linked in with the Dracula for the whole Blumhouse universe Uh, but Upgrade is like Logan Marshall Green getting paralyzed after he and his wife are like attacked and this is like kind of near future and he gets like an AI chip implanted in his brain that can like control his body and get him up and walking again but there's kind of a like like Upgrade is what Venom should have been let's put it that (laughs) way 
way. <laughs> it's like this yeah. AI voice in his head that he's hearing that's controlling his body that he can talk to. And the AI can like tap into computer systems and give him information. But also it's just stuff like, oh, you're getting your ass kicked by this thug. Cool. Do you want me to like take over? Sure. <laughs> Kung Fu skills all of a sudden, right? That movie's a fucking blast. So I would definitely recommend people check that one out. He's really great in that one. I do like how movies like that can either go in the direction of sci-fi kind of horror straight action or the better route which i i think it, what upgrade does is rolls into one horror and action yeah yeah that's definitely one that i would recommend people check out and he's very good in that one um and then kira is played by emma yatsi Corinaldi. she's done a lot of tv including the recent roots remake lots of shorts lots of indie movies um most of this cast like we said is not really anybody that you would necessarily notice so we're not going to like talk a whole lot about the cast beyond the first four main characters so yeah on the way to the party they fucking hit a coyote because coyotes just run around the fucking hollywood hills which will gets out and puts it down with a tire iron which talk about some immediate from the beginning foreshadowing (laughs) and symbolism well and it also sets the tone for this movie because it's not done in like a happy way either it's a pretty fucked up scene thanks movies thanks horror movies more violence to innocent animals yeah <laughs> at least it's not like a puppy that someone owned but sure. still like it's done <laughs> in a very tragically dark way and really sets how this movie's gonna feel <laughs> yeah so once they arrive at the house they pull in big giant fancy modern art fucking mansion up in the hills as they are walking in will looks into the living room and sees a young boy playing with toys and as soon as they walk in they're kind of sidetracked because we are introduced to Eden and David. So to talk about them real quick, Eden is played by Tammy Blanchard. She's done a lot of TV, but she's been in some movies like The Good Shepherd, Moneyball, Blue Jasmine, Into the Woods. She had six projects in 2018 alone. Like, she's been putting in some fucking work. Damn. Um, And most recently, she was in A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. And then David is played by Michelle, I guess it's Michelle, not Michael Huisman. He did a lot of Dutch TV and movies. He was in Paul Verhoeven's Black Book, World War Z, Treme, Wild. Most people are going to recognize him from Game of Thrones. He was Dario number two after they yeah. recast that character. I was going to say, like, which Dario was he? Yeah. And then most recently, he was in The Haunting of Hill House. So that's where most people are probably going to recognize him from are those two things. I didn't realize he was in that because I still refuse to watch that because it looks way too scary for me. Oh, it's so fucking good good bro you need to watch it so anyway things that we learn all really really quick because of dialogue and stuff just kind of happening eden and david met at grief therapy while eden and will were still married so (laughs) yay eden and david have been very reclusive toward their friends for the last two years and they've been kind of dot 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 out of pocket eden is still very familial with Will, and David is overly familial with everyone. (laughs) Yeah, and uncomfortably so. It's lots of little things that only an ex would do to their, like, previous relationship partner. Like, oh yeah, I'm gonna, like, lick my finger and, like, wipe the spot off your face. Oh, I'm gonna give you a really close hug and a really, like, close kiss. Just stuff that, like, no other friend of yours would do, but somebody that you've slept with would 
would do and do it on purpose to be uncomfortable. Yeah, but then he's also really just cool with it. He's just like, yeah, man, everyone's feeling great. David is very, very, like, overly familiar with everyone. Again, they're very like, oh, yeah, Kira, good to meet you finally for the first time ever. Really uncomfortable, too long hug and kiss, like, that kind of thing. Not only that, but they're like... Kira, oh wow, you are beautiful. Like, saying stuff you really shouldn't be saying in this situation. Yeah. Having just met, like, your ex's new girlfriend. Yeah. Oh my gosh, like, yeah, you seem great. Yeah. No, that's not your place. We also learn that Eden's family has some pretty serious money, hence the house. Kira makes some kind of joke to Will as they're walking, like, oh, this is your house? And he's like, no, this isn't my house. This is her family's family money house, and I just happened to live here while we were married. Yeah, and that dialogue delivery is really nice because A, it's not my house because it's literally her family's house, and B, it was never my house because of what happened between us. Sure, yeah. And it also kind of comes up later as well as far as like some power dynamics between these characters. The last thing that we learn as well is cell reception at this house up in the hills is like really shitty because everybody's kind of complaining about like not being able to get cell phone signal and not being able to like, you know, look up shit on their phones. Also, Eden totally has a thing for guys that have that white Jesus look. (laughs) Once you see like Will and David side by side, you kind of realize, oh yeah, she's into like that kind of scruffy white dude. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of, I kind of, caught that as well yeah we are introduced to the other guests as well kind of in quick succession there's two couples uh the first couple is tommy and miguel and then there's gina and Choi, her boyfriend who is late which they like very specifically point out that he like is throughout the whole goddamn movie like yeah the whole time it's like where the fuck is Choi? yeah We also meet Ben, who is Will's former business partner, and then we meet their other friend, Claire, right? So this is kind of the rest of the dinner party that we just kind of boom, 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 meet really fast. And then, you know, after all these friends kind of like, hey, 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 how are you? How are you? And they all kind of catch up. There's like a quick like needle scratch and like this girl named Sadie just kind of pops up and it's like, oh, hi, everybody. I'm Sadie. And everybody's like, cool (laughs) so who the fuck is this and and there's a couple times where this happens where will will notice something like through the crack of a door or through a window like kind of before everyone else does and while like all this meet and greet is going on and will who's obviously super comfortable and traumatized is kind of seeing through a doorway or something and sees Sadie and they kind of make eye contact. He's like, who the fuck was that? Well, not just who the fuck was that, but like, she's like just wearing a t-shirt and like no bottom. And she's just kind of giving him eyes down a fucking hallway and into another bedroom. And he's just like, wait, who the fuck? What? Right? Yeah. Like, was that a ghost? (laughs) Yeah. When this girl kind of pops up to, like, introduce herself to everybody, she, like, walks up to Eden David and, like, gives David a really close kiss on the neck, which okay and that immediately everybody is just like oh what the fuck huh and they're just kind of like oh yeah this is our friend sadie we met her in mexico and she is now staying with us yeah she lives with us now oh hmm. <laughs> okay sure yeah and that's a poor like you said record scratch and a couple of them go in the direction like that's kind of fucking weird and like one or two of them go in the direction like all right that's kind of kinky and weird but i'm into it <laughs> yeah i am certainly not a prude but like when you suddenly find out that one of your 
your close friends, or even weirder, like your ex-wife, that they just kind of have a third that, like, lives with them now that they met in Mexico, dot, dot, dot. That's awkward. They are not hiding the fact that they probably all bang, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's not subtle, say. but they, they fuck, right? <laughs> so, after this awkward moment, Will kind of excuses himself. The coyote incident is also brought back up, so he's just kind of like, alright, I'm gonna fucking step away from this for a minute. So, he goes into the kitchen, and while he's standing at the sink, he kind of has this flashback where we see this moment in the past of when Eden, his ex-wife, attempted suicide. And it's kind of this flashback of him catching her, slitting her wrists at the sink, and him, like, you know, just kind of grabbing her and trying to stop her and everything else. And he kind of snaps out of that flashback once Eden, like, pops up and catches him off guard. And it's very jarring. Uh, yeah. It's a very traumatic scene. Probably trigger warning on that scene, and also just in general one of the scarier scenes, I think, from a realistic standpoint. Something else we should mention is that you see Eden through a couple of these flashbacks and Eden seems very down to earth like the rest of the group is but Eden now is very almost ethereal but in a weird not quite Stepford Wives way but it's in like a floaty woo-woo kind of way like yeah, she's like, wearing this long flowy white dress and she's very like ethereal floaty bubbly personality wise like it's like she's kind of on some downers a little bit you know yeah but there's that sinister tinge to it like sure, it's not yeah. ethereal just ethereal angelic it's ethereal but something's really off kilter here and to that point she's kind of talking to will and like they're kind of starting to catch up when ben kind of butts into the whole conversation and ben's very much the friend of like <laughs> y'all fucking like makes those kind of jokes all yeah. the time like still hasn't quite grown up yeah and he kind of butts in and is like hey what were you two talking about in here huh eden kind of goes on this spiel about her new woo-woo way of dealing with grief and pain and that it can like all be actually physically removed from the body so that you don't have to deal with it anymore blah, blah, blah. and ben's kind of poking fun at her like crunchy bullshit and eden fucking slaps him like slaps the shit out of him yeah it gets drilled <laughs> and she just tells him like you'll never learn a thing as long as you continue to make fun of my bullshit right and she just kind of like throws it right back at him will is watching all this and he's completely shocked and as soon as Eden kind of floats the other room, what the fuck has she been like this the whole evening? And Ben's like, yeah, she's been kind of weird since everybody got here, right? Like everybody kind of notices something's up with her for sure. Eden does a lot of stuff and acts a lot of ways that I disagree with and am very uncomfortable with. But this was a moment where it was also kind of one of those things where like, this is sort of what all the friends think about Ben. Yeah. But everyone's being polite and everyone cares about him. So they're never going to be like... She also very bluntly says, and this is why nobody ever takes you serious. Been. Yeah. It's very much, I have gone through my crunchy woo-woo, like, learned things about myself, dealt with my grief, but now I have no fucking social filter, and I'm just gonna do what I want and say what I want whenever I want. It's that kind of whole, like, holier-than-thou, I am now more enlightened, so I can do whatever the fuck. Yeah. It's very much that position of haughty privilege. I, again, am more enlightened than you and whatever. Like, I know more, so I can just treat people however I want. 
on, right? It's very, yeah. very arrogant. It's done in a shitty way. Like, Ben probably does deserve this, but it's not handled in the way that it should be handled. Sure. So, a car pulls up. Um, they see, like, the headlights, and everybody assumes it's maybe Choi, who, again, was running late. But it's actually another really awkward mystery friend of Eden and David's named Pruitt. The actor is John Carroll Lynch, which everybody would fucking recognize because he's one of those that-guy actors. He is the only really, truly recognizable person in this movie. Tall, kind of tubby, middle-aged, balding guy. Alright, so, like, here's a run right here. So, Grumpy Old Men, Fargo, Volcano, The Coast is Toast, Face Off, Waking the Dead, Drew Carey shows where a lot of people know him from. He played Drew Carey's brother. That's where I remember him from, was Drew Carey show. Yeah. Carnival, Zodiac, he, he's super fucking creepy in Zodiac. Things We Lost in the Fire, Shutter Island, he's in The Americans, which Heather and I are watching right now. He kind of popped up in episodes like, oh, it's fucking him. A lot of people would also recognize him from American Horror Story. Um, he's been in three seasons of that playing different characters, including Gacy in one season. <laughs> I could see it being John Wayne Gacy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hey, you boys want to play some uh, handcuff games? He is like the walking perfect example of comedians can play super fucking dark roles yeah. and make it even more creepy. Yeah, totally. I have recommended on the show as well Channel Zero. Um, he's in season two of that show um, and he's about to be in the trial of the Chicago 7, which is Aaron Sorkin's new Netflix movie. So he has been in a shit ton of stuff and he's definitely one of those like that guy actors that everybody would recognize. Um, and again, his character's name is Pruitt. And uh, Sadie, um, who was played by Lin- Lindsay Burge, I believe is how that's yeah. pronounced. These two actors do such a good job of showing two different sides of the creep factor associated with yeah. this group that Eden got wrapped up in with her new husband. Because Prude is very, like, quiet, stalky, stands behind everybody in Says the corner. really dark, cryptic shit. And then yeah. Sadie is, like, the very, like... Bubbly, airheady. Nymph-like, airheady, yeah. but also says fucked up shit, but is, like, almost in, like, that Harley Quinn-esque, but I'm funny and yeah. I, I'm a nymph, magical kind of thing, but they're both really just saying weird shit, like, yeah. that's uncomfortable. And they know each other. I mean, she, like, literally runs up to him and, like, jumps on top of him and, like, gives him a kiss that's, like, all very kind of uncomfortable and weird. And, and again, everyone in the dinner party is, like, just silent yeah. and, like, do you know who the Who are fuck these people? Is? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, Will notices in this moment that David locks the front door and he takes the key with him. And David kind of awkwardly and confrontationally, like, on purpose, draws attention to the fact that Will saw him do this. And he just kind of chalks it up to, like, you know, oh, well, there's been recent break-ins, bro. There's just, you know, don't worry about it. It's fine. It's just, I'm just trying to keep us all safe. You know, and eventually, like, Will kind of is like, I would really feel more comfortable if you left the key in. What if there's a fire? He's being confrontational as well. They're both standing in each other's face a little bit about everything, and there's very much a, like, this used to be my house, this used to be my wife, and now this is the place where you live, and you are now her husband, and there's a lot of that, like, male ego kind of aggression between the two of them that they're, like, rubbing a little bit, but eventually David kind of relents and, okay, look, I'll at least just leave the key in the door. There you go. Do you feel better? Trying to defuse the situation, Eden then asks Will to, like, go out back for firewood. She kind of, like, pulls him aside and is like, like, hey, just go get some firewood, whatever. Yeah, like, it is a little weird that David does that, I guess, but Will is kind of just 
crazy about nothing. He's dealing with his trauma and his back history and everything else. And everybody just kind of talks up to him being like paranoid and a little bit raw and damaged still. To be fair, though, Pruitt and Sadie being there is really fucking weird and uncomfortable. (laughs) So, you know, there might be something going on. They're weird. But like... Imagine being at a party with a bunch of friends you hadn't seen in a while. And again, like, oh yeah, these are like the other two people that we occasionally hook up with and fuck maybe dot dot dot. Like, <laughs> yeah. huh, what? Okay. So anyway, Will goes out back to get firewood and through this giant plate window, he sees Eden in her bedroom and she kind of walks in and is acting a little bit weird and she quickly stashes something in her little nightstand. Will sneaks back into the house and goes into the bedroom while everybody's kind of distracted and he discovers that it was a bottle of pills and he specifically takes one and you know when he's like about to walk out of the bedroom david kind of surprises him he's like standing right there just like hey uh what are you doing in here i think david knows exactly what's happening here by the way exactly um and he's just letting will kind of dig his own fucking hole will has another flashback of him and eden getting caught in the tub by their son so we now realize oh that kid he saw earlier there's no kid here that's like him remembering like this is this this is their son blah 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 and there's still some kind of mystery trauma that happened but we don't know what it is yet like you can kind of maybe read between the lines and you know you probably can guess what's going on and i I like how she does this in the in the movie like showing these flashbacks yeah kusama that is i like when movies do that where it is almost like literally like a ghost yeah you just walk by a room and you see a scene play out because at the very beginning of the movie when you see that little boy playing with toys you think he's just there in the house you just think he's there in the house and like they put him in a side room so like so they can have the dinner party while he plays with his toys it's a very visual way of representing the like unreliable narrator idea yeah and it just adds to the creep factor too in general because like there's obviously something dark and tragic about what happened it makes no effort to like stop the movie to like zoom up on will's face as he he makes like a face like a thinking face or something and then it flashes into this whole scene it's just literally like kind of going off of like with from my my own personal experience i can't speak for everyone who who deals with trauma but um when i used to have ptsd episodes they would honestly uh happen more like that it wouldn't be like yeah i suddenly stop and drop what i'm doing it would be like something in my environment reminding me of what happened then i'm literally like reliving that experience as if it's like in the environment i'm currently in yeah and that's kind of the same situation here yeah totally so at this point will walks back into the living room as the rest of the group is kind of in mid-conversation about what David and Eden have been up to for the past two years. I'm surprised it took them this long to get here, by the way. right. So we've learned that David and Eden, along with the Sadie and Pruitt characters, who they're all wearing these, like, matching, like, kind of leather bracelet bands as well. Yeah, I didn't catch that at first. I actually, like, rewatched a scene before I realized that, that they were all wearing that. Yeah. They all joined this kind of woo-woo therapy group called The Invitation, which the other guests kind of all jokingly refer to, like, as a cult. Ha ha ha. But they all know people who have fucking participated in 
this thing. And I I took this as like this as one of those kind of like Hollywood Hills like Absolutely. yoga then became like a cult, almost like a little bit of a cult. Well, so you know what this fucking reminded me of just without an MLM structure to it. It reminds me of that fucking crazy Nexium bullshit that recently kind of all came to light with this pseudo cult leader entertainment industry guy who like created this giant lifestyle kind of cult that yeah. basically was just a way that he could fuck all these women. Or, uh, you know what this reminded me of? What Jared Leto's doing right now. Yeah, <laughs> same fucking thing. It's the same fucking thing. It's just all this woo-woo new age, like, Hollywood bullshit. I grew up in a very, like, fundy woo-woo kind of Christian church, right? Very non-dom, like, lots of weird stuff. That's one far extreme of it that I know that I have experienced. This is the complete opposite end of the spectrum. This is the same level of woo-woo weird bullshit, but it's the, like, crunchy, hippie, Hollywood, new-agey kind of version of that. Same idea. The first world granola, like, rich people. Yeah. And that's what everybody's joking about is, oh yeah, my boss is totally into this as well. Like, it's a thing, man. Like, all the other people, like, they all joke about it being a cult, but they all know people who have been, like, involved in this program. It's fucking Jared Leto's cult. Like, in my, my yeah. headcanon, this is Jared Leto, Leto's cult. Yeah, but five years before, which shows, like, how <laughs> pervasive yeah. this weird shit's been. Because, like, stuff like this has been, like, common in Hollywood society since the 30s and 50s and everything. There's always been these stupid, weird, kind of woo-woo, new-agey groups. There's always jokes about it and allusions to it of, like, weird groups and cultish behavior up in the Hollywood Hills, like, in yeah. behind these closed doors of these super rich people that live out in the hills. Yeah. So David's like, I have something to show all of you. And he breaks out a laptop and puts on this video. And at first, it kind of just seems like <laughs> an infomercial Christ. for yeah. their group. Like, it's the main leader guy, this guru kind of guy, explaining Dr. their Joseph, philosophy. Yeah. Who plays Dr. Joseph, by the way? He seemed oddly familiar. I didn't even know that he had a name. I don't remember them, like, ever referring to him by name in the movie. Toby Huss plays him. Okay. But he's kind of explaining their, like, woo-woo philosophy. And then it goes to this scene where they're, like, comforting this dying woman. She's like, oh, yeah, I'm with my family. I'm with my, like, daughter and blah, blah, blah. And then she, like, fucking dies with all these people standing around here. And they're, like, breathing. Yeah, they're all, like, group breathing and all this bullshit. Yeah. Breathing in her soul and all this. Because, like, right before she dies, he's asking her, like, oh, are you excited to see your husband? And she's like, yeah, I'm so excited to see him after after he passed. And then, yeah, she just then straight up dies on camera. By the yeah. way, T- Toby Huss, who plays, like, this cult leader, uh, Dr. Joseph, he's been in a lot of stuff, but he uh, was a voice on King of the Hill for, I think, the <laughs> entire thing. Like, I think okay. he voices Khan and Cotton Hill. Oh, really? Yes. Okay, that's fucking wild. Yeah. Wow, okay. Um, I wish I'd looked it up now. So, anyway, yeah. After they, like, watch this video, everybody in the fucking room is totally weirded out by, like, David, why the fuck did you show us a video of a woman dying? dying. What the fuck is this? Like, everybody kind of thought initially that it was just going to be some, like, sales pitch. Like, let me show you the info video of, like, our group. But then, like, oh, here's basically a snuff film. 
<laughs> a switch is flipped, especially with Sadie, because she's just like, y'all aren't getting it. Y'all are ruining it. And yeah. then Pruitt is also like... This is beautiful, y'all. Is beautiful, this is, yeah. Stop being so judgy. This is beautiful shit. And Eden, once again, kind of brings up this mystery trauma that ended her and Will's marriage, because Will's also being dismissive of it, and she's like, look, this helped me get through, like, what fucked our relationship up, and blah, 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 and you need to take this more seriously and give it more respect and everything else. Instantly really weird, fucking awkward shit. And the tension's kind of broken when the doorbell rings, right? So everybody kind of yeah. uses that as an excuse to scatter and, like, move past this. Well, I think Will even shouts us, like, you can't just get rid of trauma. Like, you're not yeah. over... Like, and is this where they reveal what happened to their son? Doesn't not he, quite, like, no, not, not yet. Quite? Okay. Will, again, keeps noticing strange behavior. The doorbell rings, David goes to get the door, and he's, like, standing outside the door with the door kind of... He's, like, got his hand on the door to, like, kind of shut the door. And David's, like, cryptically having a conversation with somebody. One more thing I have to bring up. I know I'm cutting you off. And don't edit this out, because this is really important. You know who <laughs> else who Toby Huss plays? Uh, the guy who plays Dr. Joseph in those videos? Fucking Artie from the Adventures of Pete and Pete. What? That's the same guy. Oh, shit. He is shit. Artie, and, he, and he's in King of the Hill as Khan. <laughs> okay, well, I kind of regret not looking up every single character now out yeah. of curiosity. Toby Huss is actually, like, a big name now that I'm looking through his fucking filmography. Like, he's been in a ton of That's shit. That's wild that he's literally, like, on a video, on a computer, for, like, 30 seconds of this movie. <laughs> yeah. Dude, this guy has been in, in a lot of stuff. So yeah, that's uh, fucking wild. Leader is is already from. <laughs> okay, that's fucking strange. Anyway, Will kind of notices David having this weird conversation, like outside the front door, kind of purposely with the door almost shut. And David comes back in, and he's just like, "Oh yeah, don't worry about it. It was just some partiers, you know, no, because everybody kind of thinks again. Oh, it's probably Choi, and it's not. It's just some people that he's like, oh yeah, they were just looking for a party, and they got lost. They came to the wrong house. David also has a shushed conversation with Pruitt. They, like, step yeah. to the side and, like, have a weird, like, they're laughing. Will is seeing all this in the corner of his eye once again. Yeah. And this is where, like, okay, earlier when he called him out about locking the door was kind of like, okay, Will, like, that's that's kind of shitty. But now it's kind of like that excuse of, like, oh, they were just partiers looking for a good time. Like, you live in, like, basically a compound fucking mansion. Like, what partiers would just wander up all the way, like, up that driveway, like, sure, into the compound area? Sure, yeah. yeah, like, and just want a party. Yeah. Again, this is kind of the, like, unreliable narrator side of it. You don't know if this is all just delusions of Will's, right? Like, he is just being kind of overly paranoid. Anyway, Will kind of pulls Miguel aside, who, like, seems to have some kind of medical knowledge, as we kind of see later, but he shows him the pill and is just trying to do it really on the sly, like, hey, look at this fucking pill. Just shut up. Look at this. Tell me what this is. What do you think this is? And Miguel's like, I mean, that's that's fucking phenobarbital. Like, that's a barbiturate. I mean, lots of people up here in fucking Hollywood, like, have fucking pills and bullshit, and, like, I wouldn't worry about it too much. And he just kind of says, like, Will's just being paranoid. It's an older medication to use, but a lot of people still use it. That's yeah. kind of the way he, he puts it. And and something, too, like, because there's a little bit of this here and earlier in, with Ben, um, right before Pruitt shows up, they all show this, like, friendship with him of, hey, we care about you and we miss you Yeah. as well. Again, here, Miguel's kind of like, I, th I know this night is super hard for you, but you got to calm down. Yeah. 
And also, like, once David walks over and she's like, hey, what are you guys up to? Fucking Miguel and me is just like, yeah, Will thinks y'all are on pills. Oh, ha, ha, ha. And they just kind of laugh. And then, yeah, Will's like, what the fuck, dude? And that was what he was just like, you gotta relax. And David, again, just kind of like, ha, ha, laughs it off and lets it slide. Because Will is just kind of clearly digging his own grave with his, like, weird paranoia and behavior. And to his credit, though, David and Eden both are, like, laughing off quite a lot of, like, really crazy shit that would otherwise ruin a night for any uh, normal yeah. people. <laughs> yeah. So to ease the tension and just kind of say like, look, I'm sorry I showed you all that video earlier. That was kind of fucked up. I realized in hindsight, you know, let's let's play a game. So they play a game of I want, which is like a twist on never have I ever, right? Which we played that fucking game all the time in college, yeah. right? That was like the best like group party drink game. But the whole idea is with I want is people's inhibitions can kind of come down and they can like speak honestly about what's on their mind and <laughs> oh, what a tell great people idea. what their like actual desires yeah. are which yeah great fucking idea first of all this is a complete side tangent as well and Heather and I like both talk about this all the time I can't fucking stand when somebody's like Donald Trump is the best example like he just speaks his mind he just tells it how it is speaking your mind is not a fucking virtue I don't care what anybody says speaking your mind I just means you. you have no fucking impulse control and no filter and you you can't keep shit to yourself like that's all that means speaking your mind just means you're gonna say whatever dumb shit comes to the front of your brain and you just blurt it out with like no actual self-control so anyway that's this game in a nutshell and also like it also quote-unquote protects you from any consequence of like sure, how yeah. it would affect others yeah exactly like somehow you get a pass because you're speaking your mind and being honest no you just have no fucking impulse control yeah but that's exactly what this game is this game is just tell us what you're actually inner desires are and just don't hold anything back and be honest like we're all friends we're all family like we can speak you know honestly about what we want and sadie her weird ass stands up and she's like i'll start i'll go first right and she just kind of bubbly proclaims like i just love everybody here i just want to <laughs> say i just love all of you and i'm so glad we're all here hanging out and then she leans over and like full on the fucking mouth kisses gina right and everybody's like the fuck right yeah. and gina kind of jokingly is like okay all right sure whatever joy ain't here <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, okay so it's my turn fuck it david you used to be like a fucking record exec with a fucking cocaine habit you still got some fucking cocaine hanging around here i'd like some cocaine yeah obviously just joking but then david is just like no really you want some coke all right yeah yeah he's like sure no i'll totally get you some coke dude he doesn't even leave the room either he just no. goes to like immediately <laughs> to the drawer behind him and there's a fucking bag of coke and throws yeah. it to her <laughs> and she's like well i was joking but like ah, fuck it yolo right? <laughs> yeah and and this again gina's behavior kind of also makes people uncomfortable a little bit well and everyone kind of like even through passing jokes and stuff gina was the party girl of their friend group yeah and while they're all joking about that fucking prude's weird ass interrupts everybody immediately and he's just like i'll go next yeah from the corner yeah of the room. while they're Jesus. all laughing and joking yeah. he's just like okay uh, for my turn record scratch again <laughs> Uh, I just want to confess to all of you about this one time that I, like, accidentally killed, uh, my wife, and I went to prison, but I did my time, and, uh, the program helped me get past all that, and, um, now everything's better. <laughs> Fucking awkward what? silence, right? <laughs> like... The fuck. Claire at that point is like, check please. <laughs> like, I'm yeah. out of here. <laughs> That's the point where Claire is finally just like, you know what? 
Um, I might be done with this. Eden, to like try to break that tension, she's like, okay, it's my turn real quick. Um, I really want to kiss Ben. I've always Again, wanted the to guy that she ben. fucking talked shit about and slapped. And she makes a big show of it. Not just a little peck. She's like, nah, come here, motherfucker. And she like full mouth kisses him again in front of her ex-husband, in front of her now husband, in front of all their friends. And Ben is married with children. <laughs> yeah. And at this point, Claire is definitely just like, okay, no, 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 no. I'm fucking out. I am going by and the rest of the guests like really kind of don't blame her and they're also you can tell there's that tension of like they are also all like oh wait if she's going maybe we can fucking go ahead and leave too (laughs) but Eden and David are like begging her like no 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 no, stay 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 stay. sorry like we I know this is weird like whatever let's just like don't worry about it let's just keep going and like go on with the evening whatever they're like trying their best to convince her to leave and she's like I'm really tired I just need to fucking get out of here and they're being kind of combative with her but will stands up and just firmly is like hey she said she wants to fucking leave and he's again being very blunt and confrontational and that kind of like okay that's that's fine that's fine like you can go ahead and go right yeah well and this is the time where i think will being confrontational is earned and like well totally yeah good use of like his friendship to claire and just good use of his paranoia this is like where i i was like fuck yeah will that's right like even if nothing really is going on behind all this they're just these two weird friends that are acting really weird and dark but like nothing comes of it this is still like enough of a suspicion and enough of a weird situation that will standing up because like david and eden are doing a good job of still seeming sort of genuine like they want her to stay and like trying to be good hosts but they are also taking it almost a little too far of like constantly they're hounding her kind of pushy about yeah. it yeah they're being kind of like controlling about it and so that will like calling david out in front of everyone to get sadie to leave safely is like good on you buddy Claire, like this yeah. is where like this is a better use of your paranoia than like the door thing and to this point you know she's going to leave and pruitt's again weirdos just like oh wait are you in the prius uh i'm parked behind you so you know i'll i'll go out there with you and you know go ahead and move my car so you can get out and will's like okay cool hey claire do you like want me to walk you out to your car and pruitt's like no don't worry about it i'll walk her out to the car and everybody's just kind of like staring like that is some uncomfortable shit when like the dude who's been creepy who like literally just said oh yeah i went to prison for accidentally killing my wife is like no i'll walk her to the car it's okay (laughs) so they go out and will is watching everything from the window while everybody else kind of goes back to joking and drinking and talking he sees pruitt kind of guiding claire's car out and then as soon as she kind of like gets to the edge of the driveway he's like oh and he runs around to her driver's side window and And before we can see where things go, David, hey, what are you doing, bro? Leave them alone. Like, it's not that big a deal. You're just being really paranoid. I don't appreciate it. And David kind of finally confronts Will about, like, why are you being so pushy? You're being kind of high strung, bro. Like, you need to calm down. And there's kind of this moment where, like, David finally calls him out and is just like, look, you know, while you're in my house, 
Which that's immediately like kind of a trigger for Will where he's like, um, your house? Like this wasn't my house when I lived here. This isn't your house for sure now. But, you know, David kind of finally just says like, look, you know, you got to calm the fuck down. Like this is getting out of hand. Yeah. Well, and to that point, like the way that it is shot when like Claire is leaving, but then Pruitt like kind of talks to her off screen. Yeah. is so well done because you you just don't see what happens at all at that point. And it, yeah. I, I thought that shot was really amazing. Yeah. And of course, in the middle of this conversation, conversation between david and will pruitt walks back in and just kind of awkwardly is like oh yeah yeah uh claire's gone everything's good you know uh yeah i just i had to go back and just tell her you know i was sorry for like upsetting her with my story but like i think she took it okay it's fine it's fine yeah don't worry about claire and he just kind of keeps going and like okay thanks bro thanks for <laughs> sure okay yeah she's uh she went to heaven <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, she went somewhere yeah so at this point everyone heads upstairs for dinner the like dining room of this house is kind of on the second floor which i can't fucking believe everyone is still going along with this after everything that's happened well so part of it is david is breaking out a lot of really fancy expensive wine that they all keep kind of joking about like oh shit how do you have a bottle of this like expensive ass hell yeah we're gonna like drink this expensive ass wine like yeah i know things are kind of awkward but like this is really good food and wine and shit let's just stay let's just what the fuck is it gonna hurt that's kind of everybody's like weird and Will makes this more explicit with dialogue, but the whole everybody is completely excusing the weird behavior and the weird bullshit because they're all too afraid to say anything. There's that weird level of social anxiety where, like, all of them are too afraid to, like, really call attention to what's happening and how uncomfortable they are, and they're all kind of being plied with really expensive fancy wine and food and shit, so they're just kind of letting it slide, right? (laughs) Coke and Gina's case. (laughs) (laughs) So... There's definitely that level of, like, eh, we can just ignore, like, the weirdness if we can drink this really fucking nice wine and, like, get out of here in an hour. So, they all go upstairs for dinner, and this is where you kind of start to see all the earlier tension begin to melt away. Like, everybody's finally gelling and having fun and talking about, like, the good old days, right? In the middle of this, though, Will is, like, still struggling to, like, get past everything, because while they're all talking about the good old days, he's just thinking about the last time that they were all together as a group when whatever this mystery trauma is happened yeah and that's all he can think about is like oh the last time we were all together and we were all happy and having fun bad shit happened yeah yeah so he's kind of having another like dissociative moment where he is just struggling to like break through and have fun and just enjoy being around all of his friends again so he like gets the fuck up from the table and like takes a break and poor kira uh, i might add she's been a great sport <laughs> i mean she's in these scenes and like is part of the dialogue and acting and everything. We we haven't touched on her so much throughout all the, these scenes because the focus isn't necessarily on her. But like, yeah, like you said, she is being a great sport through all of this. Yeah, and like trying to do her best to like be a good new friend to his friends. Yeah, while also still trying to like support him, but he's re- making it really fucking difficult. Yeah, which is kind of one of those things where like a loved one of someone going through some trauma or mental illness, like it is, it's very frustrating. Yeah, totally. So. 
Will takes a break and he's walking down the hallway and he sees again like just kind of through the crack in the bathroom door he sees Sadie standing in front of the mirror in the bathroom making really just insane crazy faces into the mirror making weird like kind of faces but then like screaming but like but like not making a sound yeah yeah like I bet the actress making terror faces like oh god fucking creepy to just like see somebody doing that and again he just kind of is like what the fuck is wrong with this girl but she then kind of looks over and catches him peeping he goes out to the back patio to the pool and he's like just going out there to like take a breather she follows him out to the pool and just kind of very bluntly propositions him it was just like when we were in mexico everyone was fucking everything everyone was having a good reminded me of yeah fr- once again frank from always sunny in philadelphia <laughs> it was the 70s everyone was banging everyone was having a good time yeah but she's just like yeah we could just fuck right here at the pool and it would just be fine like don't worry about kira like everybody's having fun this whole party's fun like we could just fuck right now you want to fuck you know you want to fuck and he's like i don't know you i don't fucking know anything about you like no thanks you know and he just kind of like gets up walks off and she like reacts poorly of course to that. yeah he kind of goes to the like other side of the patio and tommy then finds him and tries to kind of alleviate his paranoia as well again the like bro you know things might seem weird but like we're all here for you we all love you blah 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 like you know whatever you need and after he kind of wanders off will's phone suddenly beeps and it like catches signal for the first time because he's like outside and like at the kind of like top level of this house where the pool's at and all of a sudden, a little ding comes through on the phone, and he has a voicemail from Choi. And the voicemail is like, uh, hey bro, I just got to the house, and uh, I forgot to pick up dessert, so can you get something on your way up here? And it was like 45 minutes before Will showed up to the house. Exactly, he's like, I got here first, I'm actually early for once, haha, see you in a bit. Oops, okay, so, whatever. And this is kind of a weird note, but like, you can hear more coyotes, like, off in the distance, and like, there's a helicopter flying. Yeah, yeah. and you hear coyotes throughout the distance uh anytime like will or people are outside yeah but yeah this time around there's like a helicopter flying and will he kind of notices that yeah it's shot in that way of is this part of just his own paranoia or is this something else he goes back inside as eden has turned off the lights and is bringing a fucking birthday cake in for miguel and you know they're all just like oh yeah no it's not your birthday yet but like we're all together we might as well fucking celebrate right so here's like an early birthday yay and while they're in the middle of this will like hostily like interrupts and is just like eden david what the fuck tell us what the fuck is going on right now y'all have been weird all fucking night everybody knows it everybody's just too afraid to fucking ask everybody is uncomfortable what the fuck is going on i just got a fucking voicemail from Choi that he got here 30 minutes before everybody else where the fuck is Choi? what is going on what is this bullshit with this cult y'all are involved in like he finally just like unfucking loads and like, like he wasn't bringing up too much of like the cultish behavior before now he's just like yeah y'all are doing something sinister here Where the fuck is he? And this is where we finally, finally fucking learn, like, what happened. Will finally just reveals it was the death of his and Eden's son, Ty. That's the boy that we've been seeing, you know, throughout this movie that kind of caused their relationship to fall apart. And he criticizes how Eden's been handling all this grief with her, like, woo-woo cult group bullshit. That was the inciting thing, was we kind of learn vaguely through, and we still don't know what happened for sure. Like, that never gets explained fully, but their son died somehow, really freak, tragic way, like, 
at a birthday party. Yeah, and it like involved another kid and a bat, like maybe like with yeah. a pinata. Like it, it was something a really, really freak accident. Yeah, and he's like again saying all this in front of everybody. Like everybody knows what happened, but this is the first time that like we as the audience are learning what happened that like drove them apart. Well, and it's also assumed like this might be the first time like they're actually talking about it out loud with sure. everybody. <laughs> yeah, and at this point, this is where Kira kind of is like, "All right, I apologize. I'm sorry, y'all. Like, Will, we need to get the fuck out of here. Let's go. Let's just go home. You're acting, you know, like an ass. Like, let's just go ahead and leave. Sorry, everybody." And while everybody's kind of arguing, all this back and forth goes ding dong doorbell rings again it ends on like a record scratch of like will yeah. saying like don't forget our son ty died like that's what you're trying to do like yeah that happened like you have to deal with it you have to confront that and eden is actually starting to show for the first time like a little bit of her maybe she's breaking. showing some cracks yeah and like and then yeah ding dong like just right at the yeah. most like awkward pause everybody stops everybody is fucking silent David goes downstairs, opens the front door, and you kind of hear, like, some people talking, and Will walks to the edge of the balcony and looks down and sees, oh, uh, it's fucking Choi. And immediately everybody is just like, Will, you are fucking crazy. You're paranoid. Choi comes up and is like, hey guys, what did I miss? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm work sorry, I'm work so called late. me at the last minute. <laughs> yeah. You know, I actually got here early, but then had to get called away. They can't take care of shit without me, blah, blah, blah. And everybody is, like, staring daggers at Will at this point because of his behavior and how fucking and paranoid he's been and like the accusatory bullshit he's been throwing around so at this point like he is absolutely like the bad guy in the room and Choi is just kind of like what I miss, guys. Yeah, and he's so late and so, like, boneheaded when it comes to this kind of, yeah. I guess, stuff. I almost thought, like, oh, is he in on whatever's happening, too? Sure. No, he's just, like, that friend who's, like, a fucking hour and a half late to everything. Yeah, and Eden and David, like, try to smooth over everything immediately. Kira also is just like, let's just go outside, right? So she, like, pulls Will out. They go out back to that patio again, and that's where they finally, like, talk about, you know, the son's death, and she's trying to settle him like look you know we've been working through this for a long time that's been a factor in our relationship but like we can do this we can make this work we just got to continue to like work passive blah, blah blah and like yeah like your behavior's been kind of fucked up but like everybody gets it everybody understands everybody here loves you like it will be okay when they go back in will again is still trying to calm down he just asks to go see ty's room and they're like yeah that's fine do what you need to do like you're in the house if you need to like go have a moment whatever so he goes into the son's bedroom which we now see is like a fucking office like he walks in and at first it's like the kid's bedroom but then it kind of snaps back to reality and it's like now a fucking office with yeah. a desk and everything yeah again once again another like show don't tell moment where it's a memory literally like forming the environment and then switching back to reality yeah it's so effective again I, I just have to bring that up and it is interesting that I feel like there's something there with like they decided to after Will and Eden divorced like David and her decided to like just convert that into an office totally yeah that was like a we gotta like get rid of our grief and let's just destroy everything that reminds us of that yeah kill the past yeah yeah yeah, yeah. while will is in this room you know he's in there like in the dark he sees again through these like floor-to-ceiling plate glass windows and he sees david go into the backyard and light this red lantern it's like on a hanging stand kind of on the edge of the yard and it's got like a red kind of cover around it that makes like a red light right and he's just kind of like the fuck right yeah yeah it's like purposely overlooking the hill yeah and will starts to kind of look around in this office at this point getting nosy and he finds in the drawer the laptop 
from earlier. And he opens up the laptop and finds that like right there on the desktop there's like this other video. So he opens it up and it's another video from the cult leader guy and it's this very cryptic video that's you know all, all of our faith will be rewarded tonight if you just like commit and like you know finally purge all the like stuff that's been going through you and like all your fear and like just let all of it go and you know everything will be great. And like he says something like you and your loved ones will wake up in that paradise or something really cryptic like that yeah yeah you just gotta it's gonna be very tough but like if you just follow through like you'll be with your loved ones forever free of pain yeah and then bam 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 pruitt like loudly bangs in the door and is just like all right hey uh everybody's waiting on you bro come on and you know he's like okay shit i don't want to get caught so he like kind of quickly shuts the laptop puts it back away as Will goes to rejoin everybody else, we see that David and Eden are, like, pouring drinks for a toast. Before David can, like, finish his speech, again, it's one of these, like, I just love everybody here, and, you know, we've all gone through a lot, and blah, 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 and just, we love all of you. Will finally is just, like, uh, like, simmering pot, like, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit, and he just says, no, and fucking stands up and, like, smashes, smashes the wine glass, glass yeah. slaps the wine glasses out of everybody's hands kind of near him, and it's just, like, no, no, this is fucking bullshit. Like, I'm saying it again. This is bullshit. They're, like, trying to poison us. I saw that bottle of pills. This is fucked up. And again, everybody is, like, staring in shock at Will's outburst. And while he's kind of freaking out, Sadie kind of finally fucking snaps. And she's just like, you know, you, you ruined you it. ruined everything. Yeah. Fuck you. And she, like, runs at him, screaming and, like, slapping at him. And he, like, picks her up and just throws her backwards into, like, this buffet table kind of thing that's there and she like cracks her head and is unconscious so now we took it to the next like oh shit somebody's actually hurt now kind of level will's behavior has kind of gone to the next level so yeah like miguel rushes over to like to tender because again he has like some kind of medical background yeah they all rush over to like help her and then yeah go ahead well, and meanwhile, Gina, who was just kind of like, um, this is awkward. I'm just going to drink this. Like She, like, drinks it during the middle of David's toast. That's right. Yeah, she drank it early. Yeah, yeah before yeah. David finishes and, like, okay, yeah, it's all toast. She, like, throws hers back already, right? We just, like, kind of see it happening and passing. Ben is off to the side trying to call 911 because Sadie is hurt. But then, yeah, Kira's just like, guys, Gina's not doing well. And they all look over, and Gina's like foaming from the Slumped mouth over yeah. on the table yeah just foaming at the mouth right and then now like all attention kind of shifts to gina because you know she drank the wine before david was finished with the toast also too just as like a side note this is the only wine we've seen in the movie that was poured like out of a decanter yeah and not out of the bottle itself right? yeah it was already pre-poisoned yeah <laughs> and this is all happening really really like lightning and quick fast, succession quick. yeah yeah because now now miguel is attending to gina yeah and is starting CPR because she's like no pulse, yeah. not breathing. He's doing CPR on her and then in all this panic, nobody fucking notices as David calmly walks back into the dining room with a fucking gun and shoots Miguel in the head as he's trying to do CPR. And that's finally like the moment where like everything goes into like tailspin, slow motion, no audio, everything is fucked and everybody is panicking trying to react to like what just happened. Well, and something else I don't know if you notice this is when right after David shoots him, David pauses for a second, almost makes like a whimper of like, I can't believe I just did that. Yeah. Almost like he wasn't really ready to like 
actually have to get violent and yeah. kill people. That's the sound, like his whimper after he kills Miguel is like the thing that I remember the most in the scene. And then, yeah, a ton of action starts happening. But again, it's everybody's done in that panicky. And everybody's trying to like get out of the fucking room because David's got a fucking gun and he just shot somebody in the head. Pruitt walks over because again, David's like shaking at this point and kind of whimpering, kind of like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. I did it. I did. I, I wish I can like undo this right now. Like I went too far. Fuck, 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 fuck. Pruitt just kind of calmly walks over takes the pistol from his hand, puts his, like, arm on his shoulders, like, it's okay, bro, it's okay. And then he turns and fucking shoots Choi. Like, Choi's, like, yeah. trying to get out of the fucking room, and he just shoots him in the back. Choi kind of starts stumbling through the door and onto the patio, and Pruitt just kind of calmly stalks behind him as everybody's trying to get out of the room, and you just hear these gunshots on the patio, right? Sadie, at the same time, grabs the fucking knife out of the cake and charges at Tommy and starts slashing at him. Will and Q just like oh shit oh shit oh shit and they like grab each other and run downstairs and ben is behind them yeah ben's kind of behind them sadie's now chasing after them will and kira managed to get into this like storage room at the very end of the hallway will is saying to kira like i kind of remember the layout of the house yeah follow me like there's a door back here we can get out blah 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 one of the creepier moments is like as they're running he's trying to call ben like hey ben follow us follow us after they yeah. run down the the stairs but ben just dips into another room um which we find out wasn't the best idea yeah unfortunately so at this point you know will and kira are like in a storage room that leads out to the patio in the pool there's like a separate little door window kind of thing there that they can see out there and they're thinking they can like dip out back to the patio and run around the back of the house or something but while they're there like trying to be quiet and trying to be still they can kind of hear people yelling in the house and footsteps and they watch in horror as David tackles Ben onto the patio which they're like watching through this little window and fucking David stabs Ben in the chest and Pruitt just kind of calmly walks around and and shoots Ben in the head. Yeah, it's pretty brutal execution, too. Yeah, so Will and Kira are then like, fuck, we can't get out this way. You know, they're out in the patio. So they try to sneak back down the hallway. And while they're kind of creeping, they, like, overhear David and Eden arguing. Like, David kind of walked back around the other way, and they're arguing now about how all their plans went to hell. Like, this whole thing, like, you know, this could have all gone fine if we had just stuck to the plan, and now everything's fucked up, and, you know, this wasn't how it was supposed to be, right? They're, like, it's that kind of arguing. Eden is like, this was supposed to be painless. We were supposed to just wake up in that place with yeah, all of them. we were all and, supposed to go together. Yeah, and be free of our pain, and David's, like... We can still do that. We're still going to do that. We just have to, like, make the sacrifice of basically getting yeah. our hands dirty and being violent and killing them. Yeah. So, yeah, David kind of convinces her, like, we just have to finish the task, right? And that way, like, we're all free of our pain. So, Will and Kira, like, keep fucking sneaking down the hallway. And they get to the living room and find Sadie, who is, like, dying on the couch. And we can assume that, like, she went ahead and drank her wine so she could just fucking, like, put herself out of her misery and just go ahead and go. Either that or, like, Tommy or someone maybe injured her fatally. I don't know. Like, because I didn't see any foam coming out of her mouth. No, not necessarily. And she was, like, bleeding. She looked kind of fucked up. Yeah. Like, somebody had hit her or something. And she's, like, struggling to breathe and everything. Like, something happened to her, but they don't question it. Will just kind of quietly steps over to her and, like, takes a fireplace poker that she 
was holding in her hand. And of course, she's literally dying, dot, 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 and her hand just kind of limply lets go of it. And they creep back upstairs toward what should be another exit out. And Will discovers, oh, fuck. There used to be a door yeah, here. They walled it off or got rid yeah. of it. Yeah. And then Pruitt walks up the stairs. And so they like, fuck, and they like duck behind some stuff. Pruitt walks in, finds them, attacks them. Um, and he's like in the middle of choking out Will. And Kira like fucking brains him with a full bottle of wine. Just cracks his ass with a bottle of wine. And he kind of like. And another creepy death. Very creepily like gets up a little bit. And you see like this fucked up giant smash spot on his face and he just fucking screams with like an insane rage and then she you know brains him two or three more times with this bottle and puts and then the yeah the screen just shuts out suddenly finally yeah very very brutal but that look up with the gash on his face scream is fucking haunting like that is such a creepy moment in this movie and another creepy thing is like before all that as he's choking at will he's just like relax brother like you're gonna be free of pain now you're gonna like you're gonna be going to that special place that scream is definitely that like rage of like again this wasn't how it was supposed to be you're fucking everything up for me like the, just that final rage of god damn it this is not how it was supposed to go uh, before we we wrap this up something with Pruitt is obviously this cult openly invited like people who were maybe sadomasochist or like were violent and like instead of like helping them with their violent tendencies or behavior embrace them and kind of switched it into like this religious zealot I don't think it was that Pruitt's really the only one of the four of them that has a a history of violence i think it's more just well we don't know anything about sadie the cult preys on people who have experienced trauma and are struggling to deal with it but it weaponizes that trauma and yeah. twists it and like indoctrinates them and brainwashes them and it's literally just the fucking jonestown heaven's gate it's the same thing well and that that's what i mean i think it does a good job if you just look at the four cult members in this movie sadie pruitt david and eden they're all different variations of like weaponizing trauma sure david is like the the addict basically he used to be into this super lavish lifestyle got addicted to cocaine probably ruined a previous marriage or something eden is the tragedy of losing a child god knows what the fuck happened to sadie and then pruitt is very much like that trauma of being a violent person maybe in another life would have been a serial killer personality and weaponizing it with again this religious zealot focus like focusing that violence to a greater purpose sure yeah yeah. so after kira has killed pruitt they leave the room and just as they're walking out of this room and back into like the dining room they see eden standing there and she kind of turns around because she's blocking their way out. She turns around and they see she has the gun. And they're trying to like talk her down, but she just kind of slowly crying, raises the gun, shoots Will, and then turns the gun on herself and shoots herself in the gut. One of the most painful places to fucking shoot yourself, which makes yeah. no fucking sense. Not a good way to die. Yeah. And luckily she just wings Will and like shoots him in the shoulder. Yeah. And like she immediately regretted doing that. Yeah, like, she was crying when she shot Will and then kind of had this moment of, like, panic after she did it. You know, then she kind of turns the gun on herself of, like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, I need to, like, put myself out and, like, just end all of it, be done with this and not worry about it, right? Just, like, looking to escape. But, again, like, shoots herself in the fucking gut. Not the easiest 
way to kill yourself. Well, I almost even took it like less of an escape and almost like punishing her- herself for like yeah. all these sins that, that she's too. committed. David hears the gunshots and he calls out from downstairs, right? And he calls out to Eden. But Will and Kira like are both yelling back at him like, no, stay the fuck away. We have the gun. Don't you fucking come up here. Which Kira and Will, they like, they know the gun's empty. Like they kind of say like, fuck it, the gun's whatever. They're, like just lie and say we have the gun. David still is just like, but don't worry about it. Like it's fine. We're all going to be together. Let's just fucking finish this and be done. And he's walking up the stairs slowly and right as he gets to the top of the stairs and Will and Kira are like positioned where they like are at the other end of the stairwell with the gun pointed at him. But right as he gets to the top of the stairs on the other side of the stairwell, Tommy holding a knife fucking out of nowhere tackles him with the knife down the stairs and to the bottom floor again. And as they wrestle, he manages to like stab David in the chest, like right in the heart. That motherfucker killed his partner. His husband. His husband. Yeah. So, so yeah. Fuck fucking... that. Yeah. Get you some Tommy. Yeah. So now that like David is neutralized, Tommy gets back up, goes back upstairs to check on them. So we now have Will and Kira and Tommy and Eden is like laying there dying and she kind of apologizes to Will and just says like, I'm sorry for everything. I miss him too still. Yeah. I miss our son. This is fucked up. Like just take me outside. I want to be outside. So they bring her outside to like the patio garden where she like kind of finally lays down and just like <sighs> dies. And then they look off into the distance of the hills and they start hearing sirens and dogs barking and screams, screams coming gunshots. from houses, gunshots, right? Helicopters are flying all around. And then they see all these other fucking red lanterns dotting the dark hills as all these other cult members across the entire city are kind of carrying out the same ritual and like these this same like mass suicide plan. That is like the fucked up thing is like you're hearing all these gunshots and people screaming so obviously like similar situations happen at other dinner parties where like not everyone sipped the wine and died from it yeah but just like that sudden realization of like oh fuck how many other versions of this story are playing out all across the city right now all at the same time as you see all these other red lanterns across the hillside and so obviously like Pruitt and even Sadie to an extent maybe were like sent there as part of the cult especially Pruitt to like make sure this happens to like carry out the plan they had that random group of people who they claimed were people looking for a party come and yeah. talk to them at the door that was probably other cult members like being exactly. like hey you, y'all are doing this right like y'all the plans in motion so yeah this was like a giant organized mass suicide kind of thing yeah murder mass suicide Clara was probably killed off screen by Pruitt yeah yeah I love this ending by the way yeah and amidst all this chaos the one thing that does happen is you see Kira and will you know walk toward each other and you just kind of see them hold hands and then it cuts to credits it kind of reminded me of the end of fight club like when she like grabs yeah, his hand into hers as they're watching like the towers collapse yeah so again like very dark and bleak ending but there is kind of that sigh of relief knowing that at least these two like made it through all this and tommy yeah you know yeah at least tommy, one like, at least one of his friends lived exactly so and that's the thing like i kind of appreciate the fact that will doesn't fucking die like there's not like some like oh well, i'm just finally gonna be to rest too like he's gonna be probably more fucked up oh yeah oh yeah but like the fact that like he at least managed to survive says a lot and he got through it with kira and kira well. survived as well like they didn't ice her out that would have been an easy way to like make the story even more tragic is like oh no the new girlfriend is also killed well, and Kira not only, like, helped him through the dinner party itself and helped him through all this trauma, she literally Kira helped him against him. Pruitt. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, like she saved him in so many ways yeah. throughout this entire thing. So, and then like her and him like holding hands of like all this fucked up shit's happening, but at least we still have each other yeah. is like that little sliver of hope in this darkness of a fucked up bleak ending yeah and what a way to end it I, I i love that ending it fits so well for how dark this movie goes yeah totally and you know i think this might be where you and i differ i kind of would be interested in like kind of seeing a sequel or a franchise of this seeing other perspectives in other houses of like what other situations would happen while all this is happening this massive cult suicide murder ritual so i would only differ with you on that opinion from the standpoint of I don't necessarily want to see other instances of it happening like at the same time as this movie or whatever. I would be more interested in actually seeing a true sequel where we like fast forward two or three years after this initial incident and you start to learn more about the cult and you start to learn more about other people who were like survivors of that initial night and they all come together. The investigation's finally happening on this cult and you learn that like there's more and more people involved in it. And where did Dr. Joseph come from? Yeah. yeah, and you maybe learn like that he's still alive through all of this for some reason. You could certainly go into that in a very interesting direction and kind of evolve and grow and change that story into something a little bit more going forward. And like, you know, you don't have to like explain every detail. That's one thing I do like is this movie still leaves a lot in the dark and just kind of hints at a lot of stuff, but doesn't overly explain it. You could still explain a little bit more and get deeper and expand the universe a little bit more with a sequel. I don't know that I would necessarily just want to see like the same story play out because at this point, you know the catch, you know like what's going to happen ultimately. So instead of like just telling another story with the same ending, you know, let's go a little bit further and show like, okay, three years from now, what happens? Where does this go what happened yeah. like after the investigation the aftermath of this how many people died how widespread was this you know was this all across the country was this all across the world or was it just hollywood you know just kind of finding out more details i think would be interesting and in pushing the story and the narrative forward that way i certainly like wouldn't mind seeing a sequel i you know it's not 100 percent necessary like if there's never a sequel or continuation of this so be it like this is a good tight twisty little story that's very like intimate and small but still like has such an impact to it that like i don't think you have to have a sequel from start to finish this is in my opinion one of the better thrillers of like the last decade that i've seen oh yeah yeah yeah. and something else i really appreciate about this movie is it's so devastating and not to say that i dislike these movies i don't there's a plenty of horror movies where like it's either handled really tongue-in-cheek with violence and like hail satan cult behavior of like yeah. glorification of cults the thing i enjoy about this movie is it brings in that twist of this is all cult behavior but shows the devastating nature of what happens when cult behavior goes unchecked and actually yeah. like follows through with its plans it's not a glorification at all it's not fun it is violent and dark and super tragic yeah and feeds off of trauma once again like you said earlier oftentimes these cults especially the ones that turn violent are started off of people who can't handle their trauma can't handle yeah. like their mental illness and that's so equally as tragic as people who like lose their lives in these moments these are just people who can't deal and they get brainwashed by someone who is charismatic enough to take advantage yeah. of that well again it reminds me a lot of you know there's jonestown kind of elements to the story but it reminds me more of heaven's gate 
Yeah. It's definitely Heaven's Gate-esque yeah. with how everything ends and, like, kind of the whole thought process behind it and everything else. Um, it, it feels very, very much like that. Yeah, and kind of to talk a little bit, like, I know I've vaguely mentioned it throughout the episode, but so leading into this, this episode, I brought up in therapy more recently, and I know I've talked about this in past episodes. I used to be a registered nurse, full-time registered nurse, and I used to work in, like, a really intense pediatric setting um, where oftentimes even patients would pass away and stuff. I worked it for so many years. After I got that job, I had PTSD and trauma from it for a while to the point where I would relive those experiences and therapy and medication helped me get through that. But I recently had like, it got brought up again in therapy and it's like picking the scab off of a wound a little bit. Not that I've had the PTSD episodes anymore. Those have thankfully passed, but yeah, like those feelings were brought back up more recently and so it was kind of fresh in my mind going into this movie. And then again, just seeing the way Will and Eden act through the trauma. And then especially when Will has those flashbacks, like and where scenes transition and like physically change, like you seeing the sun at the beginning of the movie or his old room turning into the office. It's a good visual representation of how that works. It's one of the closest portrayals of an active episode of trauma or PTSD happening acutely that I've seen in a movie. Um, There's still obviously a little bit different. Like my episodes lasted longer than that, but because it's a movie, you can't necessarily have somebody having like a PTSD episode for like an hour and a half or however long. But that is why this movie did not feel like a slog of a slow burn. It felt it kept my interest the entire time. And it was especially effective for me because I could relate not necessarily in the same tragedy because of like losing a child on that, but I could relate to living through trauma and continuing to experiencing it and uh yeah and when horror does that time and time again i'll bring up the best horror either addresses family or tragedy or both yeah and that's the closest i have in my personal life is you know i had a group of friends that i worked with years and years ago that you know we were all like pretty close and tight and one of the people in that friend group committed suicide and that definitely was the thing that broke that friend group apart and everybody just had a hard time dealing with that you know this was kind of like right as I was like starting college and getting to know all of y'all I had a completely different group of work friends at that same time and you know it just got to the point where like that specific thing just pushed everybody apart and we just didn't really hang out or interact anymore after that point because it just became very uncomfortable and there was like a lot of other stuff that had happened around the same time with some of those people so you know the stuff like that it's it's very relatable everybody has some kind of experience that they can draw on you know that's relatable to what this movie is dealing with certainly and everybody has some level of loss in their life and grieving in their life that dealing with that is difficult And this is kind of an example of, like, people dealing with it the wrong way. Well, and on that thought process, too, like, hypothetically speaking, say Eden was successful in committing suicide in that moment. And granted, if that had happened, the friend group, I guess, would still be alive at this point, most of them. But think about what that would have done to the friend group. It would have been even more awkward. They probably wouldn't have talked to any of each other for those two years at all. Well, what's to say, too, that some of them wouldn't have just also ended up with the invitation, Yeah, you know, with that group in that program, you know? What if, you know, ultimately Will had just ended up with that group? It could be the same outcome, ultimately. 
So, you know, even like with that hindsight is twenty twenty. what if things played out differently? What if I had just done X, Y, Z, like that survivor's guilt or that guilt of I should have done more to prevent something from happening? Like at the end of the day, like the results could still be the same. Like it could just be this weird self-fulfilling loop of fate that you can't escape necessarily, you know? So like that's a hard thing that I personally deal with is just looking back on certain situations and trying to think about like what could I have done differently and not necessarily dwelling on that but trying to push past that and looking forward and saying like what can I do differently from now on instead of dwelling on like what should I have done what could I have done and like just building more and more guilt and like depression around the past instead of just moving forward and like trying to grow from that and learn from that and that seems to be so much of like what the invitation as a program is doing is it's trying to get you to move past all that but really all you're doing is just dwelling on that thing to the point where it literally is the thing that destroys you yeah well and you make a snuff film where you watch another member just die. <laughs> yeah sure um well and just like one final thought is another thing that was really poignant for me was i don't know if i would have been vulnerable or not to something like this when i was at my worst following my stint working as a nurse yeah when i was yeah. at my worst i don't know how susceptible i was to it. I mean, I could say that, oh, I always know what, or I can identify cults and like when they act weird. And obviously, I didn't join a cult, but like, you don't know that. Yeah. Everybody says that. Like, whenever there's cult shit that you're learning about, literally everybody that ever hears about it and learns about it is like, wait, there's no way. How can people be that gullible? How can people be that naive? How can people be that stupid or blind or whatever? And you have all this judgment around these people that are involved with cults, and you think, yeah, I would never fall for that. I would never be susceptible to that i would never like not see that happening but that's how that always works it's always regular people like it's occasionally you do have people who like are damaged and have mental health issues and are suffering trauma that like given to it as like a comfort thing right or something that just feeds into like their mental illness even more but overwhelmingly cult shit like this it is just regular people and they don't realize it's happening until it's too late and by that point done you're baked in you're locked in you it's you're going with it you know and before you know it you've drunk the kool-aid literally and oftentimes it, it sometimes all it takes is one person you trust yeah. that gets you into it like whether it's someone you start dating or marry or a family member or even just a good friend of yours yeah talks you into it and like you get a sense of community and then also too after a certain point like especially if like you're starting to be judged by others you get that almost reverse elitism of well we're a secret not a secret society but we're a special knit group that We've you don't found that, the answer yeah you don't yeah. understand therefore the more people make fun of you the more in solidarity you are with that group yeah. so there's always that level of i know the truth i am enlightened we actually have the answers and you can judge me all you want but i know that i am right there's just that yeah. weird feedback loop that happens for sure yeah so yeah anyway Happy fun times, everybody! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> so yeah, hopefully uh, everybody would check this out. I think, you know, we both highly recommend it at the end of the day. Definitely a lot to kind of unfold and unpack in this movie, so I, I absolutely think it's worth checking out. And just make sure you're going into it realizing that this is a heavy horror movie. Yeah. This is, this is a heavy one, not, not a fun time to be had at all. Yeah, but definitely worth checking out. You know, I think, again, Karn Kasama's been, like, way undervalued throughout 
throughout her entire career. Um, and this is certainly like a pretty good turning point for her. Definitely check it out if you like it. Check out some of her other stuff. Again, really looking forward to her take on Dracula. Yeah. This movie was not a financial success per se, but I'm glad that like this movie is finally kind of getting her the recognition that she deserves. I can't wait to see what she does going forward, especially with Dracula. Yeah. All right. Cool, cool. Well, that is it for this episode of Watch If You Dare a horror movie podcast so like usual um check us out on our socials at watch if you dare facebook and twitter um and we have all of our future episodes on you know basically every podcatcher at this point please rate review subscribe um especially on apple podcasts where kind of most of the attention is had and other than that you know once again big thanks to my little brother jesse mansfield aka party gator for our bumps i thought i saw that he's putting out new music actually yeah, I mean, he's not had much else to do, but still have to go to, you know, work in unsafe conditions because, you know, blah, blah, blah. But uh, either way, he's he's trying to kind of work on some new stuff and uh, it's all getting posted to his band camp. So go there, check it out, throw him a couple bucks and get some good tunes. And beyond that, I mean, I think that's pretty much it. Any final thoughts? Yeah, just uh, I hope your dinner parties with friends you haven't seen in a while uh, don't go this way. I have somebody to introduce you to. This is my good friend that I met when we were on our honeymoon in Mexico, and she's living with us now, and her name is Sally. (laughs) Who the fuck is this?